0: The following podcast may contain movie spoilers, outdated pop-cultural references, and occasional f***ing language. But listen anyway. Yes. Rolling sound. Quiet. Speak. Good day, good world. What you watching? Be specific. You've tuned into another episode of Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. I'm your host, Josh Dassel. On this show, we talk about the movie subgenres you forgot you loved. And in our season two, we're all about movies with those bandits we call Charming Thieves. Today, we're heading all the way back to 1981 to chat about the only musical heist picture we can think of, with a love triangle between a pig, a frog, and an irresponsible parasite. Starring the Muppets Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy, and non-Muppet Charles Grodin, it's a classic family film directed by Muppet creator and late legend himself, Jim Henson. Thieves aren't breathing down your neck. That's just The Great Muppet Caper. And here with me in Studio K for what I know is going to be one of our best episodes this season, if all time, (laughs) is our guest host. He is a filmmaker. He's an advertising director. He is also a fellow USC, that's University of Southern California Cinema School alum, (laughs) and uh, from what I hear, a Muppet aficionado and a fresh voice for us here on Subgenre, it's my good buddy Nick Heim. Hey, Nick. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. I have wanted to have you here since we started this show, and I'm more than excited (laughs) that it's for the great Muppet caper. Oh my goodness. This
1: is a classic, and the Muppets are something that I love, so I'm excited to dive into it and talk about way too many details about puppets.
0: You've told me before we started this that you are a Muppet aficionado. Mm. What does that mean?
1: Well, I've always loved Muppet-related things as a kid. I was very into the Muppet show and uh, Sesame Street and you know Fraggle Rock and Dark Crystal and all of the Muppet and... Henson related properties. And now my daughter is very into these things as well. So I'm getting to relive them. And especially when you have a very young child and they're watching things, they tend to watch things on repeat a lot, as I'm sure you know. And so I spend that time researching the stuff that I'm seeing. So like, oh, well, we're watching C is for Cookie the 300th time. Let's (laughs) read some trivia about it. So I feel like I've absorbed a lot of Muppet info over the past seven years as well, in, in addition to all of my childhood obsessions with them.
0: And that's one of those things Like we both, have kids at this point? Yours is how old? Seven. Seven. So is mine. So yep. we're we're kind of in the same boat <laughs> in watching and watching Muppets and absorbing everything that is a you know a hand up a another person's uh, behind and all the magic that comes with that. You know, I don't like that phrase, but we'll <laughs> we'll roll with it. <laughs> As I mentioned, you are a USC Film School alum. That's true. Same as me. Uh, We have both uh, done our time in various bits of the uh, movie and entertainment business. That is true. And so hopefully all the money that we paid for that education is going to pay off in today's episode. What do you think? Is it worth it? There's no way it can ever pay off, but
1: (laughs) I think we'll do our best (laughs) considering the cost. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think there's a curve when you study film where at the beginning, learning about movies makes you dislike movies more because you see through the artifice in a way that you don't as just a casual viewer, right? And then with enough time and interest and study, it actually brings you a a lot more enjoyment of films because you're able to see all the craft that goes into it and all the work. And when it still comes out well, it's fantastic. I had an old uh, directing teacher who always said that making a bad movie is almost impossible. Making a good movie is a miracle. You know, like if just any film getting completed is amazing. So when you actually see a movie that you love, I think it's extra special when you know how much work went into it.
0: Let's take that big brain that you have and that you've paid a lot of money for yeah, yeah. and let's talk about the Great Muppet caper as it relates to this season's theme, which is Charming Thieves. So we started out this season with. I think, some heist and, and thievery movies that really closely fit that trope. So we had The Thomas Crown Affair and uh, To yeah. Catch a Thief, those types of things. In our previous episode, which at the time of this recording has not aired yet, but in the episode that comes before this one, where we're covering the French film Bob le Flambour. Oh. It is a harder sell Mm -hmm. in terms of how it fits with the Charming Thief movie, although I think we do a really good job of covering that in the episode. Mm -hmm. This one, in my mind, I can explain my logic for including this, but I want to see what you think the logic is for including this.
1: I think To Catch a Thief and Thomas Crown Affair, great examples, very easy to follow. This film... It's charming and it's about thieves so on that you know surface level you say well charming thief but the actual thief himself is only mildly charming it's really the muppets that bring the charm so if you take a film like uh, no country for old men where there is thieving involved you know money but mm. it's not fun there's no breeziness to it there's a lot of stakes it's dangerous it has you on the edge of your seat i think a charming thief picture is about gliding over the details and you're enjoying the ride and it's the fun and the banter and the back and forth that keeps you engaged and you want to be part of that world whereas a more gritty thief film i think you don't want to be involved <laughs> you want to avoid these people at all costs
0: i agree with all of that i think my thinking on it as well in addition to that it was almost like the charming thief trope gets forked here I said forked. Forked. Oh, okay. Um, I don't remember that scene. (laughs) It gets forked in that Charming Thief movies and the the Charming Thief trope, or the Gentleman Thief trope, there is this sense of doing crimes that don't affect little people. You know, there's a bit of extra glamour involved to it. We're not robbing low-end banks and liquor stores, right? Right. And that there is some sort of, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it in It's almost like a high society. High society, exactly. Like
1: like there's a, a bunch of people draped in pearl who are, you know, living the high life. We'll get to the scenes later, but, you know, the scenes with John Cleese later in the film are very much on point with that, you know, where they're kind of mocking that lifestyle.
0: I think we have the material bits and the physicality of the charming thief through our villain here, through Charles Grodin's character, which we'll talk about. But we have the other end of it, the charm, and he tries to be charming. We, We get an attempt at charming on his end, but we get some of those other bits from other places and Kermit, with his own brand of charm that isn't really... Really on brand always with the Charming Thief trope.
1: There's charm to spare in this film and the thievery is part of it but there's more also.
0: Let's do as we always do and kind of set the scene for this movie that we are going to talk about mm-hmm. uh, by talking about the people and moving parts that got this thing together. What do we know? Well, this was the second
1: of the theatrical Muppet films and there's been quite a few since but it's part of the, the original batch, the Jim Henson batch of films, right? Which are the good ones. Uh, <laughs> the, best, the
0: best Let's not mince words. That is exactly (laughs) correct. Go ahead.
1: Uh, The first one, uh, you know, the Muppet movie was a critical hit. It was a financial hit. It was 1979, I think. 1979. And I think the Muppets, in general, were on a wave of success. I was watching, uh, if you have not seen the documentary called Street Gang, about the history of Sesame Street on HBO, is excellent. But in that, they said that at the peak of its popularity, the Muppet show was the world's most successful televised comedy. It was syndicated in over a hundred countries, and dubbed in 15 languages wow which is crazy i mean that many people were that into puppets is not something you would see today i don't think um this film came out in 1981 and if you look at june of 81 which is when it came out we've got raiders of the lost ark coming out whoa cannonball run stripes clash of the titans history of the world part one It's stacked. I mean, this is like, you know, (laughs) all of the films that I can think of, you know, from that era apparently all came out within four weeks of each other, you know, and this was directed by Jim Henson, as you mentioned, the late Jim Henson, who died at the young age of 53 in 1990. Uh, He was born in Mississippi, which I was surprised by because there's a particular like there's some affects to his voice that sound very Midwest Mm -hmm. to me, Mm -hmm. you know, but he was born in Mississippi, got onto Sesame Street in the late 60s. He had the puppets going and the Muppets going by then. Kermit was much earlier. But the first Sesame Street episode was 1969, which is crazy. Uh, They also did the first season of SNL in 1975. They had a series of Muppet shorts on SNL, and apparently the writers for SNL did not like having to write (laughs) these bits. Uh, One of the writers, a guy named Michael O'Donohue, famously said, I won't write for Felt. (laughs) They they felt like this stuff was beneath them, so they only did the one season. (laughs) This
0: is 1970s Saturday Night Live. Can Mm -hmm. you imagine the amount of coke oh my God. that was <laughs> that was involved in writing for the Muppets. No, and...
1: I mean, they were barely holding it together as it was. As soon as you have to write for the Glorp uh, aliens, whatever their names are, I forget the names of the actual characters. But I mean, you know these guys were like, alright, it's time. We need to hit the bathroom. We'll be back. <laughs> so this was the last of the Jim Henson-directed Muppet movies. Yep. Frank Oz directed Muppets Take Manhattan in 1984.
0: This was expected, I think, by everybody, including Henson, to be a Huge hit! This yeah. movie after the Muppet Movie in '79 because yeah. Muppet Movie was a huge hit. Yeah, but ultimately, I think this really was only a mild hit. I think grossed 31 million dollars, which is about half of what Muppet Movie did. Yeah, and kind of didn't fare well in the reviews as far as I was reading.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seemed to get kind of mixed reviews, and I think it was the highest ranking it ever had was like 60th on the box office. You know, so yeah. it was not it was not a major player, especially compared. You got Raiders of the Lost Ark coming out a week later. Sure, I mean, you're not. Yeah, you're Raiders not of gonna... the
0: Lost Ark stripes all those children. Children's movies that came out in, <laughs> exactly. in
1: June of '81, yeah. And so Frank Oz directed the later ones, and then other people directed the many, many that have come since. And then Jim Henson himself, as we know, died very suddenly in 1990. He got sick and died within the course of like one day yeah. from galloping pneumonia. Very depressing. If you ever want to ruin your week, go watch the video of Jim Henson's funeral, and you will oh, never no. recover after you watch all of the Muppets and Big Bird sing Kermit's song. No. I'm out. No, no, I'm done. I I got three seconds into it. I'm like, nope, never (laughs) in my life will I watch this again. But it's part of this, like all of the the Muppet brain trust kind of disappeared all at once in the '90s. They lost Jim Henson, which was a huge one, obviously. John Stone, who was the original director of. Sesame Street and Mm -hmm. the creator of Sesame Mm -hmm. Street, Uh, Joe Raposo, who did the music for this and for Sesame Street, and Richard Hunt, who did Skeeter and uh, Scooter and a bunch of other characters, and they all died within five years of each other. And the Muppets never really came back. I mean, they're still around and they're still a cultural force, but it's not the same Muppets as it was, in my
0: opinion. I would agree with you. When you strip the core out of it that way and kind of hang around, it's sort of like Timothy B. Schmidt's Eagles. <laughs> yes, like, it's exactly. it's sort of that, you know? Exactly. It's, like, it's like touring with Queen
1: now, you know? It's right, not the exactly. same. Anyhow, this was produced by David Laser, who did the Muppet movie and Dark Crystal, and Frank Oz, who uh, we all know from Muppet performances and being every character you've ever remembered from yeah, being a child. Yeah, Yoda. He's Yoda. He's Yoda. I mean, that's all you need to say. But uh, Frank Oz also directed a movie called The Score with Robert De Niro uh-huh. and Marlon Brando, if you remember. And famously, Marlon Brando would not take direction from Frank Oz because he says, I don't take direction from Miss Piggy. And he would not let Frank tell him what to do (laughs) tell Miss Piggy I can't hear her you know so he'd make De Niro give notes to Brando what a
0: pain in the ass. Do you have a De Niro? Because if we could do the, <laughs> we could do the just, conversation.
1: It's, it's, I do not
0: have a De Niro. You got the physicality. We got the, the point. So we could do, do the fingers. It's just a little bit. Just a
1: little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that.
0: So the, the cast in this, too, includes Frank Oz, obviously, as you yes. mentioned. Uh, he does Miss Piggy. Mm-hmm. He does a, a number of other characters that are in here. Henson is obviously the person behind Kermit. David Gets, Jerry Nelson, Richard Hunt, as you mentioned earlier. Yep. And then, in addition to the cast of thousands who are doing the rest of the puppets in this, we get to the Humans that occupy this movie. Stacked cast. Stacked cast. We're not even talking yet about the cameos that show up in this, which there are more than enough to fill the movie. We've got a couple of big ones in here to start.
1: Oh, yeah. Charles Grodin, obviously, the main one, and Diana Rigg. But Charles Grodin, this is right after, I believe, or even right before Midnight Run, one of my favorites. And he's so good in that. And he has this ability as an actor that I think is rare, where an actor can look like they're doing very little and carry the scene effortlessly, you know? And he always just kind of glides through these parts where it feels like he's not
0: acting almost,
1: and yet he's at the heart of the piece. And him and De Niro together in Midnight Run, and again, I have no De Niro ready, but I'm doing the the pointing here.
0: (laughs) This is Grodin just a couple of years after coming off of another favorite, uh, sorry, actually one year after coming off another favorite film of mine, which I hope at some point to be able to cover on this show, which seems like old times with Goldie Hawn. I have not seen it. And Chevy Chase. Have you never seen this? I've seen it. It's like a crime movie meets a farce meets, uh, you know, a stage play. It's wonderful. i have to check it out. Go watch it. Uh, and then we have Diana
1: Rigg, obviously. Besides being, you know, absolutely stunning on screen, she's just always a powerhouse in everything. And even to the very end, I mean, it, Game of Thrones recently as an elderly woman just destroying everyone else on screen. <laughs> As uh, Elena Tyrell. And she's obviously James Bond's wife. She's, you know, yeah. appeal. Like she's got the bona fides for days. And those are just the two main ones. And then, like you said, there's a million cameos
0: everywhere. Yes. That's uh, you know, sort of above the line people except for we need want to talk about the writers here, because we have four writers credited on this film. Yeah, I was I didn't know this, but I was looking
1: it up while we were talking about doing this episode, and it seems like there was really two scripts that were written. And the first one was called The Muppets Hit the Road, which is written by Jerry Joel and Jack Rose. And Jack Rose was actually the writer of the Bob Hope Road movies, like Mm -hmm. Road to Rio and and some of the other ones. And so it was supposed to kind of be a play on that, I think, or at least that's probably why Jim Henson hired him. And then, that one did not hit for Jim Henson, who famously apparently, like, never said no to things. If you gave him an idea and he didn't like it, he would just go, huh. And then you'd pitch him a new idea and they go, oh, that's good. Like, once you heard that, apparently you had to just keep going. He would never (laughs) shut you down, which I guess is the sign of a good, you know, brainstorm collaborator, but I'm sure it was frustrating for some of the people working with him. (laughs) Uh, But then they wrote a second script, a a new group of writers, Pratchett and Tarsis. I don't know either of them. Tom
0: Pratchett and Jay Tarsis, who were writers for The Carol Burnett Show. Carol Burnett Show. And I think who eventually wrote... Muppets Take Manhattan. I got it.
1: And they wrote one called The Good, the Bad,
0: and the Muppets. Great
1: title. And then uh, Jim Henson combined those together with uh, material from all four writers. So they're all credited. And I think Gonzo makes a comment about how many writers there are listed (laughs) on the the film in, in one of the scenes. And this was the second-to-last film of the cinematographer, Oswald Morris, who did uh, Lolita, the Kubrick Lolita, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, Oliver.
0: He's a musical film director, super bona fides on that end. Fiddler and Oliver. yeah, famous musical Lolita. <laughs> famous musical Lolita. <laughs> um, his next-to-last film for that guy, and also the next-to-last film for the editor on this, who is yes. Ralph Kemplin, who also, I think, worked on Oliver and Movies uh, like The African Queen with Bogart. Oh, oh man, that's good. Um,
1: The production design was actually done by German man Harry Lang, who uh, did 2001 Space Odyssey, but also did Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in Mm -hmm. various capacities.
0: Let's finish off this part by talking about what is one of my favorite parts of this movie, which is the music. And the music in this film composed... Almost exclusively by Joe Raposo, yes. who, as I think as you mentioned earlier, is associated with Henson, is associated with Sesame Street. Is the guy who wrote "Can you tell me how to get how to get to Sesame Street?" That's Joe Raposo. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, he wrote like every Sesame Street song you're thinking of right now. He wrote it. Aardvark and Proud, Rubber C Ducky, is for Cookie, Rubber Ducky. It ain't easy being green. Sing the Carpenters song. I mean, he did all of those and. Uh, Little trivia I noticed from all of the years of watching classic Sesame Street DVDs with my daughter is there is a framed photo of Joe Raposo on the wall behind Don Music and all of the Don mm. Music skits, which if you don't remember Sesame Street, he was the musician who would always slam his face into the piano when he I couldn't figure Don out. I love Don Music. Don Music. So good. You would not see it in the modern Muppets because it, it's, too, it's too self-flagellating, <laughs> you know, but it's so funny. And I always loved him. And he has a framed photo of Joe Raposo on his wall. So there you go.
0: And somehow, Raposo, in addition to composing for all of these sort of kid-friendly songs and albums, also was the composer on Altman's Nashville. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) jeez. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, what a through line. And in this film, there is a song that will come up that's called The First Time It Happens, which, speaking of things that make you cry, that was what earned this movie its only Academy Award nomination, which is great, although it unfortunately didn't win. But if you're going to lose to something, it lost to Arthur's Theme when uh, you get caught between the Moon and New York City, yeah. best that you can do from Dudley Moore's Arthur, which was like a Burt Backrack and Christopher Cross song.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and you still know that song forty years later. You don't really remember this song forty years later. You know, it, this is not Rainbow Connection. It's not as good as Rainbow Connection or Easy Being Green. It's a good song though, and it you know deserves the accolades. Well, this seems like it's going to be a heck of a thing to cover. There's so much stuff. Like, the plot is nonstop. I mean, it just goes and goes
0: and goes. Well, we are going to do our best to cover the plot, as we always do. We're going to do the best to tell you about jokes, which I know is the best possible (laughs) way to make them funny. We'll explain explain them in detail, and we'll try to tell it as dryly as possible. Here comes our best attempt at that when we talk about (laughs) our feature presentation. This is our feature presentation. Of course, we're talking about the great Muppet caper from 1981. If you haven't seen it, A, what are you doing? Just and go see it. Just go see it. And B, there are spoilers ahead. I know yeah. spoiling a Muppet movie seems like an odd thing to be warning you about, but I'm going to warn you. We're going to spoil some stuff about the movie. Yeah, and the, you know the jokes work better unspoiled. We start off, it, it is not an MGM film, but we start off with what approximates the MGM film, which is our good friend Animal, the whatever animal is, acting like the MGM lion. Yeah, eating the logo is a fantastic opening gag. <laughs> with also the big words, which it took me until I was an adult to understand, understand what Lord Grade means at the top of it. You know, it said a, a Lord Grade or presented <laughs> yeah, by yeah. Lord Grade or something. Lord Grade was the money man, really, I think, behind The Muppet Show. So he was he's Russian-born, he was a producer of various things, had the reputation for not producing very good things, and so was referred to as low-grade by a lot of <laughs> other people. But yes, Lord Grade. I love stories about movie producers from the 70s because they're always the skeeviest <laughs> dudes you've ever
1: heard of in your life. They all would be arrested immediately today, and they're always from a country you cannot identify when you hear them speak. It's fantastic.
0: (laughs) We get to start this movie Mm -hmm. with our three main Muppets, which are Kermit, Fozzie Bear and Gonzo, and they're in a hot air balloon. Which is great, because they spend the time in the hot air balloon doing exactly what everybody else that I know does (laughs) when you sit and watch credits that are too long at the beginning of the movie, is you just sort of sit and bag on them. They're making comments about... uh, What does BSC stand for, anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Right, what is BSC? British
1: Society of Cinematographers.
0: This hot air balloon, it crashes into downtown. Obviously a backlot set. Yes, I'm pretty
1: sure it's the same one from Seinfeld and from Superman 2, and every
0: thing that ever needed a new york city street it looks very familiar it is a crash landing in the middle of this city, which of course, as crash landings do, sparks a musical number.
1: It always happens.
0: Yep, our first song, Hey A Movie, which I always thought was <laughs> called Everybody and Me, because that is how we get introduced to all the people that we need to be introduced to. And I think between the hot air balloon
1: and the the soundstage is a nice kind of setup of, of the movie's look also, because we've got these really nice, practically filmed locations, like the hot air balloon piece is a real hot air balloon. A lot of the driving scenes later are really driving. And then we have these very elaborate soundstage sets as well. And the cut back and forth between them, you know, sets the tone for the movie, gives it that kind of heightened reality, but with some feet in the truth.
0: I like it because it almost feels like they're dropping into a really gritty Sesame Street. Yes. This is something I noticed when watching this is the
1: thing that I think was lost when the original Muppet performers either moved on or passed away is the original Muppet show and Sesame Street and these films have kind of a grungy loser's aesthetic, where the Muppets are the underdogs and they're always messing up, everything's a disaster. And the modern Muppets are much more sanitized. They tend to be the heroes. And I, I love this style, the style where everything looks like it's about to be overrun with rats. And it is later. <laughs> Dancing
0: yeah. rats. It is in this uh, everybody and me musical number that we not only get some exposition in between the verses about what Kermit is doing here, that he and Fozzie and God are reporters. Right, right? obviously. As the, I guess, the press badge in Fozzie's hat uh, or Kermit's hat or whoever says, but that they're looking for their big story. But also we get introduced to a person whose name we don't know yet, but it is the first human character to really break the fourth wall, look at the screen and say, and me. (laughs) And that is Charles Grote.
1: Yes. And it's a great introduction to him. And I think it's a great introduction to all of them. And it also sets up the pace of the jokes. It's just, you know, it's not quite up to like airplane or something where it's a joke every second, but we're never taking anything seriously it's all very fun and quick and witty and it it really sets the movie off on a great first step and i want to draw your attention to one of the background players in this opening number is the worst basketball player you'll ever (laughs) see in your life they gave this man this balding man with a giant mustache and tiny shorts they gave him a basketball you're gonna have to be more specific with the giant mustache and tiny (laughs) shorts so many mustaches but they're like, this guy looks like no basketball player has ever looked. And then later they make him try and shoot the basket. And I'm like, why would you do that to this poor extra? Like, don't do that to this
0: man. Speaking of people in odd outfits, our man who says, and me, our Charles Grodin, is dressed as a blind man being led across the street by a yes. Girl Scout, which seems odd at first. But mm-hmm. will come to maybe make some sense here in just a second yeah. as he is crossing the street towards a jewelry store.
1: And, you know, it It sets up that he's a scam artist. You know, he's, he's always trying to get one over on everyone, and it's a great intro to him.
0: Our three Muppets are looking for their great story. They find what they think is going to be the best photo they can get, which is a chicken that's hanging out on the street. How interesting is that? And so they're taking pictures of the chicken. But while they're taking pictures of the chicken, they have such blinders on to it that behind them, the entire world goes crazy because a jewel robbery is happening. But let's take a moment and discuss what's going on with God gonzo in
1: these chickens i mean i feel like the i'm not gonna kink shame on this program (laughs) perhaps you should (laughs) gonzo i love you man but it's weird and it's been going on for 50
0: years and it seems to be like polyamorous as well (laughs) there seems to be multiple chickens he's got a
1: harem of chickens yeah and uh it's all very upsetting
0: (laughs) (laughs) so of course he wants to take a picture of a nude chicken on the street while he's doing that Mm -hmm. and and they're taking what inappropriate photos they're taking. <laughs> it was the 70s, after all. Behind them, there is this jewel heist that's happening. There's a rich woman who wanders out of a jewel store. Thieves who look exactly like thieves should look in oh, a absolutely. in an old movie, show up. They yank the necklace off her neck or whatever, and then they speed away in a car. Hey, there's been a jewel robbery. And then the town starts to fall apart behind them with things falling off of buildings and whatever. And the entire time, there is no reaction from our Muppets. No. And they go about their day.
1: They're just kind of incidentally in the same spot. And it does not appear to affect them in any way.
0: And they should have been paying attention because they're reporters. And we find that out in the next scene where they are back in front of their boss at the Daily Chronicle. The boss, Mike Tarkanian, the city editor, Mike Tarkanian, played by Jack Warden, Mm -hmm. a wonderful character actor who has been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, as soon as you see his face, you're like, oh, it's that guy. He's like, I'm looking at all of the other papers in town. Here's all of our competition. Jewel heist. (laughs) Ladies, jewels stolen. Giant thing happens in downtown. And we get to their paper with the picture on the front of it of Kermit and Fozzie and it's what identical twins join Chronicle staff yes absolutely this running joke of them being twins is hilarious it
1: has no basis in anything it is never explained it is just set up that Kermit and Fozzie are identical twins and everyone agrees as long as Fozzie has his hat on
0: and then they are identical otherwise they can't tell and the one explanation for it which is not (laughs) a great explanation is we get a picture of Mike Tarkanian with his old buddy who is their father who is some nightmare inducing hybrid
1: <laughs> this bear with green skin who looks like both of them combined with kermit eyes and Fozzie's head hilarious so disturbing looking And then that's it. We're often running with identical twins, frog and bear.
0: They say, you know, uh, here's what we could do for you. I know we didn't get the picture of the jewel thing that was happening on downtown street. We got you a great picture of a chicken, though. But what we could do is if you would just pay for us to fly to England, we could go over there and we could uh, find the jewel thieves for you. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't wouldn't you love us to do that? And let's be fair.
1: It's really the editor's fault that that was the story that ran. You didn't have to run the story about the two twins being hired. I mean, this is true. I mean, they took the picture. You printed the paper, so Kermit's in
0: the clear in my mind. And Mike Tarkanian uh, is not going to take the rap on this. He fires both of them. He says, I love your dad, but both of you are gone. (laughs) They try to convince him to send to England. They're going to go interview Lady Holiday, who we find out is the name of the woman, the uh, British woman whose jewels were stolen, and he says, no, I'm I'm not paying for you to go over there. Yeah, are we going to get over there and solve the mystery then? He says, ah, you're the investigative reporter. You figure it out.
1: And that leads us to? Leads us to a plane. Cargo hold.
0: Yeah. We're on the plane to London. We're in a cargo hold, and... (laughs) There are three animal cages, one marked frog, one marked bear, and one marked whatever, which is the Gonzo cage.
1: So I guess Gonzo is now officially a whatever. And they change this over time, don't they? In the Muppet Babies show, the new one that my daughter loves, he is an alien and they get to meet other Gonzos from the Gonzo planet. But that show also has a lot of imagination elements, so I don't know how official that is. Also, you know, we're retconning left and right (laughs) here. Muppet (laughs) babies. They were babies and they had nannies and now they're five-year-olds and they have Miss Nanny. It's a mess. Muppet continuity is a nightmare. Whoever's running the Wikipedia for the Muppets is probably losing their mind. Okay,
0: so here's where we come back to the Muppets Take Manhattan. Muppet babies came from Muppets Take Manhattan. That was the thing I remember the most from when I was a kid and you watch it and they had the little musical number with the mama, dada, poop, poop, chihuahua. And then they had the Muppet babies show. That, to me was the death of the Muppets. <laughs> that was basically Rocky Five for me for the Muppets. Muppet Babies
1: had a couple things I liked because they were very meta in their humor, which I always appreciated, which is one of the reasons I like this movie a lot on second viewing is they're talking about it being a movie a lot. So they're saying, oh, well, you know, we, we have to get some exposition done or we're talking about the credits, yeah. you know, and various things like this. And uh, I think Muppet Babies still hits that okay, but it, I agree it's near the end.
0: Well, we've got the frog and the bear and the whatever in their cages. It's announced that they are nearing London. They're nearing England. Oh, great. When do we land? The sky porter or whatever you'd call the (laughs) the guy working the cargo hold. Uh, Yeah. We're not landing. You are. (laughs) Takes each of these and chucks them out the airplane. There they go. No parachutes, as far as I can tell on, on this part. Straight into a pond. Straight into a pond. Landing right in front of what I think is described as a British gentleman, this, you know, sort of proper uh, British guy on a bench, played by the actor Robert Morley, who is in a ton of stuff up to that point, including the aforementioned African queen.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys you see, like, this movie is a treasure trove of that guys, you know, where you you see people and you're like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, it's that guy. You know, and he's another one of them.
0: And they ask him, uh, hey, we're here in England. We're here to solve a mystery. We need a place to stay. Is there any place that you can suggest to which he promptly pulls out a book and looks for free places to park your carcass. Yes, <laughs> which is an excellent phrase. And also I love that he
1: was carrying that with him.
0: And directs them to a place that we're going to spend a lot of time, mm-hmm. a place called the Happiness Hotel. Yes, which it really is just a stand-in for the Muppet Theater, since
1: they're not at the Muppet Theater. It's very Muppet Theater-esque and it's got all the characters there and it's its a lot of fun. And we'll get to that shortly. It, it feels to me like, oh, we don't have
0: our normal set, our mm-hmm. Muppet show set. So we're going to make this hotel that'll fill in for the same role. The journey there, I mean, getting there once we're there is going to be great. The journey (laughs) there to me is one of the funnier parts of the beginning of the movie because they are taking, you know, as you do when you're in London, they're taking a double-decker bus (laughs) and riding it to wherever this place is that they're going. Gonzo is taking photos of everything, which is kind of fun to me because you you have these sort of wide shots of the bus crossing Tower Bridge or whatever, and you see the flashbulb go off in the bus. Yeah, it's great. While you're hearing the dialogue, has a wonderful line where, you know, there's a flash. Fozzie says, oh, you know, sorry, did I get my elbow in the shot? Gonzo says, don't worry, it'll add human interest, to which Fozzie replies, yeah, but I'm a bear. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is another demarcation between
1: earlier and later Muppets, is that Jim Henson and Frank Oz specifically, were obsessed with trying to find ways to push puppeting forward. And they would do these crazy things just to see if they could do it. And we'll talk about a lot of these insane rigs that they build in this film for these very short gags. But I think you don't see that in the modern Muppets. It's not about trying to push the art form of puppetry at all. It's about just cashing in on the likenesses. I think there's so many great things in here where they're trying to make puppets do things that puppets can't do. It's exciting visually, but it also sells the jokes better, too. And I think this is having these live London exteriors is part of it. You know, they're driving around a real city, you know, they're in the shots, along with Big Ben and Tower Bridge and all this other stuff, and it just adds so much.
0: And it's one of those you know, making puppets do what puppets don't normally do things. We actually get a bit of that in the scene that follows this when they actually get near the Happiness Hotel, because we have the continuation of a running gag where they get thrown from moving vehicles. And so, (laughs) Instead of stopping, because we're not going to stop for this little cruddy hotel (laughs) that you're at, they chuck them from the side of the bus, which you could throw a puppet out of a bus and it would look great. But there's something about the movement or the weight of the puppets or something when they're throwing them that gives them a realistic feel as they hit the ground and then immediately start to move. Yes, the editing here is perfect because they will match the action on the landing so
1: then they continue to move into the next shot and you don't even doubt the fact that they were thrown from the bus.
0: It's a throwaway gag but they're thrown off in a part of London called (laughs) Cheapside. But they're landed right in front of the Happiness Hotel. It is very obviously a relatively abandoned dump to which they enter and the only person around is the Muppet character Gramps who's the sort of the the old guy who's manning the front desk and is entirely surprised that anyone wants to stay there. (laughs) And he offers
1: them three ways to pay. Okay cash, you can yep. do a credit card, or you can run out in the middle of the night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fozzie says, oh, we'll take that one. That sounds great. You know, once he realizes that, hey, these three guys actually want to stay here, essentially wakes the hotel. We do this a lot. Like, he rings the bell. Every Muppet that's ever existed pops out of yes. all of the different rooms and on the balcony, and like you said, sort of recreates a Muppet theater esque experience, yeah. and we get a musical number.
1: And we get to see all of our favorite Muppets all in one place. I think my favorite this time was, because he's one you don't see that often, is the Muppet who looks like Jeff Lynne, who's just like a big beard and hair. He's part of Dr. Teeth's band. And Dr. Teeth's band in general, I love. And if you have not seen it, there is a clip you can watch of Jim Henson on The Tonight Show where Dr. Teeth and Kermit come on and talk to Johnny Carson. And he is killing. Jim Henson is on the top of his game. There's this great section where Johnny Carson says, "Uh, describe your music. Would you say it's rock or is it jazz? And he has the puppet. He's just it's like catastrophe music, man. And people are losing their mind. And then he brings out Kermit, and Kermit's depressed because he's not featured in Dr. Teeth's music enough. I mean, it's just a great segment. It's very well done, worth checking out.
0: Dr. Teeth and the band are one of the major highlights to me of both the Muppet movie and Great Muppet Caper. Yes. I really, really, really have a soft spot for Janice. Janice is so great. She's a spoof of something that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like,
1: she's, like, obviously making fun of a very specific subset of people, and those people are long gone, but she still
0: remains we end our musical number, which is Welcome to the Happiness Hotel. Obviously, it's the big welcome. We get to end with uh, Sam the Eagle, whose only job is to show up twice in this movie, the first time (laughs) to say, uh, you are all weirdos. (laughs) I feel like we could just take that clip out of context and use it so often. And a shout out to my wife who informed me that as a child, she always heard that as you are all weenos, (laughs) (laughs) which I kind of like even better. (laughs) I don't know what it means, but I appreciate it. They get a room. Picture the worst possible flea bag hotel you can picture, and this is exactly where they are. They really do need to get a good night's sleep. They've had a lot going on today, being thrown from airplanes and buses and every other thing because they got to go interview Lady Holiday tomorrow. And so they need to go to bed. And again, with the repeating gags, we're starting a new one here, which I love. The bed in the room is a Murphy bed. It's the one that folds up into the wall. They sit on it. The Murphy bed traps them behind the wall, and then the light bulb falls out of the light to turn off the light. It's
1: so well done. And by the third time, the Murphy bed gag comes around. It kills. The rule of threes handled perfectly with the Murphy bed joke.
0: So we've had a great night's sleep. We're yeah. going to go and talk to Lady Holiday, uh, those three are. But let's introduce Lady Holiday yes. in the scene that we get. And let's introduce another major character that's going to come into this. We start with Lady Holiday. Lady Holiday played by Diana Rigg, as yep. you mentioned. She's in a 80s pastel
1: nightmare of a fashion office, you know, where the hair is just top notch 80s. The clothes are all of the lilac and pastel shades that we've come to love uh, not having around anymore. And lots of corded phones that you can do gags with.
0: You know, it's an 80s set piece. And she's doing what I would imagine. At the time, I think everyone would imagine that fashion icon people do. is She's on the phone to Milan.
1: Oh, yes. And letting
0: them know that the new spring fashions, we're going to have to redo everything because everything that I have designed is terrible. (laughs) And I'm fixing things on the fly. I'm throwing ink on one of the models to make it better. Mm -hmm. It's awful. It's a lot of fun. And it kind of sells her her capriciousness
1: and also the fact that piggy would want to be part of this scene like it feels very fancy in a way that miss piggy would appreciate
0: and piggy's going to get here in a sec but it does give us a chance in the middle of her walking around and dealing with all of her models to see but not understand the importance of three of them the last three the three that are standing in her office who she comes in and checks with are we find out named carla marla and darla what a great little stupid joke <laughs> and just remember those names because they'll come back <laughs> yeah. into play a little later for now they're just models wearing ugly clothes that need to go change they don't seem happy about it either and so after lady holiday is back ensconced in her office and she's done talking to milan or whatever it is that she's doing sitting at her desk she turns around to find a new character kind of draped across the doorway and of course it's miss piggy i mean and miss piggy one of the all-time great characters
1: and again we have a you know a male performer with doing a female character could be terrible but somehow it still works and it shouldn't But just Miss Piggy is that good of a character that it carries it through.
0: She's Frank Oz, right? Frank Oz is doing Miss Piggy. She's Frank Oz. Miss Piggy is always kind of the same version of herself, which is Mm self-absorbed, which is very brash, which is very physical. Yeah, she can turn on a dime and turn violent very quickly. But in this one, she's trying to contain all of that and to play hoity-toity, which she obviously is not.
1: I think this is one of the most fun versions of Miss Piggy because... For that reason, she has a very distinct thing she's playing. She's not just a caricature of a diva. She is someone trying to pretend to be high class who is not, which adds an extra note that I think
0: works really well. And she's here for a very particular reason, which is that she wants to be a high fashion model. And as high fashion models do, she has come to Lady Holiday's agency. She has brought her portfolio. Yes, I brought my portfolio and my je ne sais quoi. (laughs) And slaps it down in front of Lady Holiday and begins to go through all the different black and white photos of her in exactly the same position and expression. It's
1: like just frozen the same photo of her with different clothes on every time. It's
0: fantastic. With the descriptions of what each one is trying to convey. (laughs) Here I've got demure. And my favorite part, daring. (laughs) Lady Holiday doesn't have time for this, but she just needs to get this person, pig, whatever it is, out of Mm -hmm. her hair. And so she offers her a job as a receptionist instead. Piggy. Excitedly accepts this is her break into the high fashion model industry and Lady Holiday leaves Piggy with some instructions about her brother, Nikki. The joke to get her to be the receptionist is excellent as well because Piggy says, I
1: absolutely will not take any job other than being a model. And she says, how about receptionist? And she's so excited. It's well done.
0: And the advice that Lady Holiday gives this very eager young pig is my brother Nicky is a parasite who always borrows money. He can't be trusted, not even around my largest jewel, the fabulous (laughs) baseball diamond. Such (laughs) a stupid joke, and it's so good. The fabulous baseball diamond is going to play a huge part in this film. And, you know, she's going on about, here's why you shouldn't trust Nicky, especially around the diamond. Miss Piggy's like... Why are you telling me all of this? <laughs> to which Lady Holiday gets to give the, uh, you know, it's plot exposition. It's got to go somewhere, <laughs> which is wonderful. We've established all of our major characters, we've yeah. introduced all of our really important minor characters. Mm-hmm. And we come back to those ones I said to remember, Carla, Marla, and Darla, who are hanging out next to the elevators, ready to leave, and chatting with each other, a little too loud, I thought, about what are you going to wear to the robbery tomorrow night? (laughs) You have to be well-dressed for a robbery. It's a charming thief movie. It's not a thief movie. It's It's not a poorly dressed thief. They get done talking just as Kermit, Fozzie, and Gonzo arrive ready for the interview. Of course, Lady Holiday by this point has left. The only person, can we say person? The only person that's left is it's a person well it's a person shaped pig the only entity left in her office is miss piggy who Mm -hmm. is giving some sort of awards acceptance speech while standing on the desk to herself and doesn't notice that kermit has appeared in the doorway and we get the first of many misunderstandings about who each other are
1: and i think kermit and piggy have many many years of relationship at this point and it's been portrayed in a lot of different ways This one is fun, I think, because they both are into each other. Where a lot of times it's Miss Piggy chasing Kermit and him being like, oh no, you know he's not, yeah. he's he's afraid of her or like nervously right, so. It. And this time they're both, you know, it's kind of a mutual thing. It's been played one-sided, but this is a two-way relationship, which is a lot of fun.
0: I'm here to interview you. is what he says. Right. Me? Who, who am I? Oh, you're Lady Holiday. Oh yes, I am Lady <laughs> Holiday. He tells her he's there to interview her. She liking him and not wanting to blow her cover, her chance plays along. Yep. Of course, I am Lady Holiday. I would love to talk to you about it, but I'm very busy. I'm very busy. Can't talk to you right now. He makes another pitch at it and says, how about dinner then? Mm-hmm. Great. Let's have dinner. I'll pick you up at your house. Where do you live? Yes. And she then makes him guess where she lives, <laughs> which is a very interesting way to try
1: and con someone.
0: Not only are we guessing the street, we're guessing the house number. House number. He just gets it right. First time. Isn't that amazing? And it turns out that she lives at 17 Highbrow Street. Which, I mean, that's perfect. Okay. Okay. The end of the scene is incredibly sweet, with her obviously liking him, I'll see you tonight, mon ami, or whatever it is she says in French, and him with this kind of OG whiz shrug and see you tonight. It's sweet. It's cute. One of the magic things about Kermit the Frog as a puppet
1: is that he has only a few movements, but they can express such a wide range of emotions. I mean, the Kermit squish face when he's upset. Oh, I love the, swish, the unrivaled. squish Unrivaled. I mean, it's unrivaled. It's the funniest one by far. But he has all these kind of just micro expressions that Henson does by just slightly moving his hand. You get this whole range of emotions from, a you
0: know, a sock. It's amazing. They have a date. They are into each other. So great. They're going to have that. Outside of the offices now everybody has to get back to the Happiness Hotel so they can prep for this date. It's yep. coming up shortly. No cabs are going to stop. They're yelling taxi, which is not a thing you do in London, right? So there's a little bit of an in-joke about, uh, you know, yelling taxis. Taxis aren't going to stop. Yep. Um, so instead of figuring out exactly how you do that, Gonzo does what Gonzo does and just throws himself in the middle of the street and is nearly run over by a cab. I like that Gonzo,
1: as the stunt performer, is constantly excited about the deadly dangers that appear in this film.
0: It's, it's very on character. <laughs> What's the line when they're in the highlight? air balloon at the beginning, and he's like, I wonder how far you could plummet before you black out. Yeah, Yeah, he has a death wish, and it's wonderful. The cab that almost hits him is very unlike all of the other cabs that are around. It's not the sort of standard London black cab. It's a yellow New York taxi. Yeah, and a Uh, a mini one. A mini one, right, just their size, and is driven by one of my favorite Muppets named (laughs) Beauregard. Yes, he's never a featured character, but he's always an excellent bit of color. He's the guy that talks like this.
1: (laughs) It's the same uh, performer who does scooter. You know, he just a lot of great characters, but Beauregard
0: is a classic. And it just so happens that Beauregard, being a Muppet himself, is headed for the Happiness Hotel. Doesn't know how to get there. I've been there a lot, you know, but is not quite sure how to get there. But they take the cab ride. You get this neat piece of stunt work yeah. of this little taxi cab spinning in circles in the middle of the road and cars avoiding it on all sides and it's neat stunt work for a puppet movie. I
1: read a thing where they said that they did all these location shooting in England and they shot in and around London for one month and they only had one night that was rained out and then they went to Albuquerque to do the hot air balloon stuff mm-hmm. and they lost almost every day due to bad weather <laughs> which in the, it's, this is from the Muppet fan newsletter in 1981 and they I said, this goes to show you, never trust
0: a cloud. The stunt work that's done with the cab, we get it on the street, which is very cool. Yes. But we also get at the end of this sequence something that I always assumed was faked. Mm-hmm. And come to find out was not, which is Beauregard crashes his taxi through the front door of the hotel. It looks amazing. Yeah, they actually had a stunt driver drive through the front door of a hotel. That's fantastic. It looks so great. And, you know, him continuing to then
1: drive through the hotel later as he goes to park the car is a great gag.
0: Yeah, and I think, what does he ask him? Like, where's your room at? And they're like, oh, we're on the second floor. Sorry, I can only take you as far as the lobby. (laughs) Boom. On the way out, like right past more characters that we haven't seen before. So he crashes through the other side of the hotel, ends up in their kitchen. Past the Swedish chef. Yes. uh, Who who comes out with one of my favorite gags as a kid with a pot with a steering wheel in it. (laughs) And I think uh, Beaker and Bunsen
1: show up here as well. All the classic Muppets are here now.
0: Including, in just a moment, another one who will introduce himself because as they get out of the cab in the lobby, Fozzie spills the beans Mm -hmm. about Kermit having a date with Lady Holiday. Kermit doesn't want anybody to know, you know, so Fozzie does what Fozzie does. He tells everyone. He tells Gramps, I think, at the front desk, who then proceeds Mm -hmm. to ring the bell. Everybody comes out, he tells everyone, and it's no longer a secret. And the capper to that, the gag on that, that's the funniest damn thing, is after he's told Fozzie, Fozzie's not supposed to tell, Fozzie tells Gramps, Gramps isn't supposed to tell, Gramps tells everybody, then immediately you get the newsman character (laughs) who comes out, and begins to broadcast it worldwide. Yes, it's perfect. Plus, you get the
1: Muppet newscaster guy, who I always love. He is a great character. On The Muppet Show, at least, his sections always end with him being horribly injured, which (laughs) is wonderful.
0: In this first part of the movie, we have one... One more good scene which is the prepping for a date scene so kermit is back in the room i guess all of them are back in the room Kermit is getting ready for his date by shaving, which yeah. I always found hysterical. The shaving is so funny.
1: At the end, he like points out, he says, you know, oh, I wish I had whiskers because then i <laughs> but then I'd have to put a blade in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's shaving. He's got on a tuxedo and a he hat. and Pink the whole th- boxers on. Uh, I was watching it with my daughter and she said,
1: Kermit's in his undies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I don't think we've ever seen Kermit in his undies before. And it's all done to, again, another great Joe Raposo musical number called "Stepping Out with a Star and Feel. <laughs> fine. Very Fred Astaire. Very Fred Astaire. And I
1: read a little bit of trivia about this in that same Muppet fan newsletter where at the time, this was their claim. I have no idea what this was based on, if there's any truth to it. They said, watch for the shadow on the wall in Kermit's Fred Astaire dance number it took 43 takes to get it right, which is the most takes needed for any shot in any movie. Now, that sounds suspect
0: to me. <laughs> what year did The Shining come out? It was 1970-something. Didn't Shining do like 150-plus no, sure takes it. for the Scatman Crothers axe hit? I mean, Kubrick was
1: deliberately tormenting people with hundreds of takes, so I'm sure this is a lie, but in the fan newsletter, they were making that bold claim. You know what, sure. 43 takes is a lot of takes. That's, a, that's a lot of takes. It's a good
0: shot, too. With it the... is, yeah, with a little, and he does the front flip. It's great. Kermit is ready. He's shined up. He's ready to go. And again, another misunderstanding. Fozzie feels like he was invited as well and is very disappointed and really heartbroken. It's a heartbreaking moment uh, when Fozzie realizes that he's not invited.
1: And, you know, Kermit's nice
0: and he invites Fozzie and then realized he should not have invited Fozzie. No, because again, Fozzie is Fozzie. You invite Fozzie, you give him an inch, he takes a mile. You invite Fozzie and immediately what he does is he turns around and tells the entire hotel, hey guys, we can all go. So now
1: a bus full of people is going on a date with Miss Piggy, which, you know, I know it's the 70s, but this
0: <laughs> not cool, man. I'm excited to see where this goes. <laughs> we're going to find out where this goes Yikes. when we're back right after this break. When you're done listening to this episode, why not pick up a great book? Ask your bookseller about Art Curious, stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. It's what Publishers Weekly calls an offbeat and informative outing into the weird, wacky, and unbelievable backstories of some of the world's greatest artists and most famous works of art. Get the scoop on the murder, mayhem, and mystery behind stories like the thefts. Yes, I said thefts of the Mona Lisa, how the CIA impacted artists like Mark Rothko and Jackson Pollock, Andy Warhol's really odd time capsule collection, and the possible murder of Vincent Van Gogh. You'll find all of this and more in Art Curious, stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history from Penguin Books, written by Art Curious podcast host Jennifer Dassel. Visit artcuriousbook.com to find your copy now. That's artcuriousbook.com. Hey, you're back listening to Subgenre. We are talking about The Great Muppet Caper with Nick Heim. Hi-ho. (laughs) Hi-ho. And talking about the great Muppet caper, yeah. I want to pause for just a second before we get into more about the movie itself and focus on this title for a second. Okay. You mentioned when we were setting the scene for this whole thing about how there were two scripts that came before what ultimately was the production script and right. they kind of got merged together. And one of them was called what? The Good, the Bad, and the Muppets. Good, the Bad, the Muppets. And, and the one that before uh, that. Muppets Hit the Road. Jim Henson wasn't entirely thrilled with whatever the working title was at the time. Whenever they put both of these together, which I think maybe was Muppets Hit the Road. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. And so, as a means to finding something better to call this, I don't know if you know this, but he had a contest within the Henson uh, Corporation at the time. It's a great idea. What should we call what at the time they were just referring to as Muppet Movie Two? Okay. What should we call that? I have managed to find the list. Really. Of the oh. contest winners, I guess I would assume. Is this this real or is this you just making? No, a no. Bunch this of is real. Puns? No, okay. this is this is real. Because I'm up for both of those. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it wasn't real, I'm going to claim it was real because it makes it's, good radio. I love it. Okay, I found a list. I actually found two lists. One of them, which I believe, comes from the suggestions taken internally okay. uh, from the company, and another one that seems to include suggestions, maybe from family members, other things like that. So I've gone through, and it's a relatively extensive list, I've picked out my favorites, and I just want to gauge your reaction okay. to some of these and see how we do. Right, okay, you ready? I
1: will, I will put myself in Jim Henson's shoes, and I will try to think of which of these would make a great Muppet movie name. Okay, here we go. Right. The first one, Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man, that's good. That's also impossible, but yes, that's excellent. I don't see that one making <laughs> the cut, but sure, I, I like it. All right. Foam on the Range. With the parents' rubber—that is, rubber foam. Yeah, it's not good, but it's great. Yeah, the Rocky Muppet Picture Show. That's excellent. Mm Hmm. Sow by Southwest. What? I don't think I get that one. (laughs) South by. Oh, sow like pig. Like pig. Like North by Northwest was the little mystery of the Hitchcock. Sow by Southwest.
1: Southwest. It's, It's all right. I like some of the other ones better. A Froggy Day in London. Ooh, that's good. Right, punny. Yeah, it's it's punny. I don't know that it
0: is a good title, but it's funny. Tadpoles tell no tales <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> 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 Have they made a noir Muppet movie
1: I don't think please they have. God make a noir they Muppet should. movie Kermit should be the detective it's just built in he's even got the hat
0: already well he wears the trench coat as yeah. the reporter too on Sesame Street exactly. like it could be great okay from the friends and family there's actually a few more that may be more useful so yeah. Muppets are forever all right <laughs> right off diamonds are forever yeah, yeah right we have a diamond heist movie yeah that's not bad this one is clever the Muppet Connection. Oh. So French Connection, yeah, I mean that one. Rainbow
1: Connection now would probably not hold up as well, but at the time would have been very topical.
0: Others that would not hold up now (laughs) because no one's going to get the reference, but me, maybe you, and (laughs) and one other listener, the Man from Muppet. Oh, very nice. Uh, That would have dots between all the letters. That's correct. As well as Secret Muppet Man. Secret Muppet Man, that's pretty good. And then of course there's a couple of Bond references, so we get uh, From Muppets with Love and Diamonds Are for Muppets. What about Octopiggy? All right. maybe not Octopeak. The last one that's on this list that I picked was The Great Muppet Capade, which uh-huh. is the suggestion that was given, I believe, by Henson's daughter. I had heard that his daughter had something to do with naming it, but I didn't know what she actually suggested. I believe it was The Great Muppet Capade, hmm. and if you look at the list, there are handwritten notes on the side. I don't know whose handwritten notes, but there are handwritten notes on the side that give a couple of other alternates for Capade, and one of them is Caper. It's memorable, it gives you the the sense of fun that the movie has caper was actually a source of some derision I think when really? the movie yeah when the movie came out because I think as we mentioned earlier it wasn't the highest grossing Muppet movie. No. it Actually, I think it's the fifth highest grossing Muppet movie of all time. The Muppets from 2011, number one, Muppet movie, 79, number two, Muppets Most Wanted, Muppet Treasure Island, all of those are higher grossing than Muppet Caper, which is insane to me. Yeah, that is crazy. But also, I mean, they later had the power
1: of Disney behind them, which I think- Oh, there is that. goes a long way. That's true. I mean, the I will say the 2011 Muppet movie is pretty good. A lot of it's because it's kind of paying homage to the original yeah. Muppets in a way that is respectful and fun. And that has a lot of the similar humor, but it's also
0: still modern Muppets, so it's not in the same league. I think it was the New York Times at the time uh, reported that one studio exec, I don't think they named the person, one studio exec uh, had thought that the use of caper in the title, that was a mistake by Henson. Like it conjured the wrong images, both Siskel and Ebert, uh, but especially uh, Ebert were talking about like, Muppets don't belong in heist pictures, Muppets don't belong in caper pictures. It's terrible. Muppets belong wherever they
1: want to be. Damn right. And I think you could take every genre... And make a Muppet version, and it would be better.
0: I'm waiting for my Muppet gore <laughs> horror movie, my Muppet noir, yeah, World War Two, <laughs> Saving Private <laughs> Kermit. Just settle on on one that you think you like the most there out of all of those. I mean, Valley of the Dolls is yeah, hard that, to be. I, I agree. Like
1: just taking an
0: existing title and <laughs> <laughs> making it into a pun is great. Here we go. Two nerds back to talking about the great Muppet caper. Yes. When we left off, there was a date that was going to happen. Kermit was yeah. getting ready for his date with who he thinks is Lady Holiday, who actually is Miss Piggy. And he is picking her up at the location that he has, that she, I guess, has made him guess at earlier, which is 17 Highbrow Street, which mm-hmm. Miss Piggy definitely doesn't live at, no. and which she now must find a way to get inside to pretend that she lives there. Yes. Her sneaking into this house is just an excellent sequence in general. I've said this a a lot this season, we say it a lot, but it's true. When you're putting together a good caper movie in the first part of the second act, you have the fun and games. You have my scenes of preparation and my scenes of figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And often in caper movies, those are mini capers. And this is Piggy's mini caper. Yeah, and it's
1: a great mini caper, especially because it also introduces us to my favorite cameo of the film, which is John Cleese. John Cleese as a uber proper British aristocrat named Neville. Who is unflappable completely. He's making himself look older so
0: that he can partner with the woman in the scene and they are a funny duo together. His wife, who's sitting at the other end of a very long table in their formal dining room, his wife Dorcas, played by Joan Sanderson, they are eating dinner, <laughs> talking about the weather. Yes, and how it was disappointing. It was disappointing yesterday. Disappointing today. It will be disappointing tomorrow. Yes. And they're doing all of this while Miss Piggy is outside doing her best mission impossible to get into this stately mansion, which starts with climbing a drain pipe. Yes, and I think what makes this sequence work so so well is that they
1: see her almost immediately and <laughs> she's doing all of these secretive things and they don't care and they're not worried about it and she's just sneaking around and falling down and they're like, do you notice there's a pig outside on the drain pipe?
0: Uh, um, uh, yes, yes, there's a uh, pig on the drain pipe, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And continue to talk about the weather yeah, and continue to talk about, like, Neville, am I boring you? <laughs> oh, no, dear, I've never been more excited in my life. If I was bored, I would go buy calves' Foot Jelly or something. <laughs>
1: But they get Piggy inside the house. This is another one of those moments where you can really see, I'm sure they worked forever to figure this out, but she's crawling across the floor. And it's one of these great rigs where I would love to see how it was done because it just looks like Miss Piggy is crawling across the floor, but you can't have a puppet crawl across the floor. So there's some sort of technology being utilized here that I have no idea what it is, but it
0: looks amazing she's having to crawl next to the formal dining room where they are. Yes. Because beyond that formal dining room is the front door. And she's trying to get closer to the front door because she knows that's where Kermit's going to be. And sure enough, he rings the bell. Cleese and Sanderson sitting at the table pay it very little mind. The butler should get it. Oh, we know we let the butler go last year. All the pets are dead. (laughs) And finally, Miss Piggy being Miss Piggy can take no more of ignoring the doorbell, (laughs) rises from her position where she's done all of these stunts to get where she is and just screams, I'll get it!
1: (laughs) Again, unbothered. They don't care that she's in the house, crawling through the (laughs) foyer,
0: opening the door. I thought you said the pets were dead. (laughs) (laughs) I think when she answers the door, that's the moment where it starts to maybe sort of dawn on Neville that he should at least check on things because Piggy's in a hurry, right? She's trying to get them out the door. Kermit doesn't know he's at the wrong house. He knows he's at a fancy house and would like a tour. And so then she treats... John Cleese, like the butler, and just takes Kermit on a tour of the house. Which has Neville stalking behind them with a fireplace poker, yes, as if he's going to club an intruder. Piggy is staying three steps ahead of it and ends up hiding both of them, her and Kermit, in a dark closet and shutting the door. And again, when he actually finds them, instead
1: of what you would expect, which would be some sort of action sequence, it just becomes a very polite conversation.
0: In which he asks what exactly they're doing. And which they're... very Britishly he apologizes for asking. <laughs> yes. <exactly. laughs> I'm sorry for asking, but is there anything I can help you with? <laughs> right. They have yes. a request of him that he can help them with, which is uh, could you please suggest a nice place for dinner? Yes, and he does,
1: but it's really more of a supper club. It's really, as yes.
0: Dorcas wants to remind him later, yes, it's really more of a supper club. Don't blame yourself. <laughs> what is it, the Dubonet? Dubonet? Yes, yeah, something along those lines. More of a supper club. Yes, it's more of a supper club, really. So they've determined where they're going for dinner. They mm-hmm. haven't been clubbed to death by the aristocrats in the house. But they step outside. Miss Piggy steps outside to maybe, to her, a fate worse than that, which is that the entire electric mayhem bus, now called the The Happiness Happiness Hotel Hotel. bus, is waiting for them. Every Muppet in the film is now
1: on a date with Piggy and Kermit. With loud music. Oh, yes. They're very loud. They're very boisterous. They're
0: excited to be on this date, as is the opposite of Piggy's reaction. They're playing this lovely song, Nightlife, sung by uh, Dr. Teeth. Yep. Piggy is, should they be playing so loud? And Kermit's like, they don't mind. Uh, then we're off to the supper club. Let's describe this place for a minute, because you come from sort of the gritty streets of yeah. London. And yeah, you've been at the Aristocrat's house and all that, but you've sort of been in the gritty streets. And you step into the Dubonnet Club, and it's like a jazz, like a 1920s
1: Yeah, I mean, it club. looks
0: very, like, you
1: know, it should be something from My Man Godfrey or something, where it's, it looks like the club at the beginning of Temple of Doom. I was about to say the yeah, same thing. Like, I would almost think it's the same one if it weren't obviously a set, you know. But it is, it's very silver, black, and white with... With, you know a lot of chandeliers and crystals and lots of little dinner tables set about multi-level it's very classy looking it does not exist this
0: type of thing now as far as i know and it's very expensive because as kermit is quick to point out because they're all sitting him and Fozzie and gonzo and, and piggy are all sitting in a booth he's quick to point out that the roast beef on the menu is the same price as an oldsmobile right <laughs> which i had to explain to my daughter what an oldsmobile was piggy is doing what piggy does even though it's expensive she's ordering caviar champagne yes to the table they don't have the money they've made that clear. But Gonzo has a plan for earning the money for them to pay for this date, which is he's brought his camera. And so he's going to go take portraits of everybody in the restaurant and sell them back to them to pay for the meal. And he's got this same old fashioned camera,
1: the whole film, and it's a great little prop that's always doing flashbulb pops right in people's faces. It's very fun. The first person I think he takes a picture of in a booth is Jim Henson. Yes, Jim Henson and his wife are there, and there's other cameos. I think some of them are other Muppeteers. And Interestingly, the one guy who, when you know Gonzo talks to him and asks about his wife, and we find out he's at the club with his mistress, that guy there was also one of the patrons in Monty Python's Meaning of Life and the Mr. Creosote sequence where the big fat guy is oh. explodes. He has a similar part
0: in that film. Weirdly enough. How many other children's movies are you going to find where we have adultery references?
1: I know, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, also at this place is Lady Holiday, the real Lady Holiday. Yes. Who is taking her own booth somewhere on the other side of the restaurant. She is taking it next to whatever she called him, the irresponsible parasite of a brother. She has Nikki, Charles Grodin, and uh, she is, against her better judgment, wearing a jewel necklace.
1: It's a very noticeable necklace and very gaudy necklace that he
0: is very obviously interested in. And Nikki insisted, she said, that she wear it, and so she is. While they are settling themselves in and she's worrying about the necklace, Kermit and Piggy are dancing. He's trying to use the moment to talk about the heist. She doesn't want to talk about the heist because she doesn't know anything about the heist, and so she'd rather dance.
1: And we also get some smooth moves from Charles Grodin Showing why he was never a dancer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is this the little sort of shuffle yeah, up and down the stairs? He's just kind of
1: like oh. doing the dad at the backyard barbecue moves. You in know?
0: his flowery socks. Yes. <laughs> which we get to see in close up a lot in this film. It's we get true. flowery socks. Lady Holiday, the real Lady Holiday, finally convinces Nikki that she just doesn't feel safe wearing the diamonds. Please go get the maitre d'. Please tell him that we want to put these in the safe, which I'm assuming every fancy restaurant has a safe. You must. Yeah. For
1: jewels. But it has that line you referenced at the beginning where she says, I feel like thieves are breathing. Down my neck. He breathes down her neck. Thieves aren't breathing down your neck. <laughs>
0: It's just a great little moment. And he goes off, you know, like you said, sort of dancing uh, poorly to go find the Mater D, but very quickly once he's out of sight, stops the dancing, becomes very serious, and makes his way not to the Mater D, but to the back door. And he unlocks the back door for a purpose that we don't quite know yet, but we find out pretty soon.
1: And then we get to see our three models again, our disgruntled models, Carla, Marla, and Darla, who uh, come in to help pull off this
0: heist. But not before we get another musical number, which is this full Fledge, you know, we were talking about Busby Berkeley sort of stuff, like it is a huge dance number in this club. There's tap dancing. There's guys in top hats and canes. There's flips. I'm pretty
1: sure the basketball guy from the beginning is also in it again. I have <laughs> to see it again, though, but I'm pretty sure I
0: saw that mustache. He might belong in this one better. <laughs> I think he fits better here. Big dance number. Huge dance number. Yes. During which Charles Grodin sees Piggy, falls in love with Piggy, we are yes. meant to assume. Yes, um, he's smitten with her. And dances with her for a brief time before she's sort of pulled away by the rest of the dancing crowd.
1: And uh, sets up our very, very weird love trip triangle in this
0: movie. Yeah, There's so many questions that come to mind. The setup for jokes here is really easy and it's so easy I'm not going to take it but we'll we'll see if I do later. As part of this dance number, as part of this hey look we're falling in love number, get one of the best songs I think in the film the first time it happens. And and the first time it happens is the song I think as we mentioned near the top that was nominated for an Oscar that ultimately went to Arthur's theme. And understandably so. It's a good song it's well
1: done. And when you think about the heavy lifting that this song has to do to convince you that these two puppet animals are falling in love and it works. That's a hell of a thing. I mean, it's hard enough to convince people that humans are falling in love, and you're doing it with inanimate objects.
0: The song also does the work of showing us Charles Grodin falling yes. in love with Piggy. Yes,
1: and, and that works, too. I mean, it works enough for the plot, at least. Like, you get the beats, and it works
0: out. We also get some more classic 80s hairdos in this section. We do. Like, we get some of the 80s height. You get the hair height, mm-hmm. and you get the—I'm going to do the gesture here. Just I, Nobody can see this, but you get the 80s dancing flourish. Oh, yeah. Like, with the arms way out to each side. It's a, It's like if you go and watch the One Night in Bangkok music video by Murray Head, it's that dancing,
1: but here. It's very jazzer y There it is. Yeah, it's all over the place, and it's got a lot of
0: sass. The song ends, the musical number ends, and immediately our models do what our models came to do. They cut the power, everything goes dark, somebody reaches in the dark, grabs the necklace off of Lady Holiday's neck, which she hadn't had a chance yet to go send to the restaurant safe, and runs away with it into the night. The twist to it is right as that happens, there is a flash. Gonzo to the rescue. Gonzo has his camera. Gonzo, always looking for the great shot and trying to make a buck here and there, takes a photo at exactly the same time as the necklace being stolen. Um, We don't quite know that yet. We just know that he's taken a photo, and when all the lights come back on, he has his camera, which he has a photo, and he's sure he maybe has caught the robber, but that's the only thing that they have because now Miss Piggy is gone. Because when Lady Holiday's
1: necklace was stolen, it was made clear clear that Piggy was not Lady Holiday.
0: And that's the moment Kermit sort of has that realization. That's the moment that Piggy has the realization that Kermit knows. And so she jets and gets out of there. Which ends this sequence with a shot that has disturbed me since a child. Since I was a child. Once Miss Piggy leaves, there is a shot of her walking home through the streets at night in London. And it's not... A puppet, Miss Piggy. It is a human being inside a Miss Piggy costume yes. walking home in sort of this very noir esque. Yeah, they have like a single thing.
1: street light and then this human in a pig costume walking. It's the same outfit. Later, when we do the motorcycle stunts, someone is wearing this costume to be Miss Piggy doing the motorcycle jumps. And I noted it as I was watching it this last time. So this is horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: scared the shit out of me. Even <laughs> now. Because, A, It just looks weird. Like, it doesn't look like. The proportions are all weird. The proportions are wrong. She's like six feet tall. She's
1: huge. Well, when you put the big foam head on top and you have whatever dude is in there, now he's like seven and
0: a half feet tall going down the road. (laughs) It looks like Slender Man Pig. You know, it's horrible. Suddenly, she's grown about twice her size and and is just wandering (laughs) home past where Jack the Ripper used to hang out. It's awful. But it does get us, though, with her departing and kind of gets us, you know, Kermit in a down, depressed mood. Yeah. does take us back to the Happiness Hotel where our gang, kermit and Fozzie and gonzo have commandeered what apparently is the only bathroom in the happiness hotel and are using it as a dark room and this was another moment where my daughter was very
1: confused she's like why are they in a dark bathroom with red lights and so then i had to explain it and then she just gave me a stare as if to say how did you ever live in these prehistoric times father yeah which app did they use (laughs) oh and this is plot important if light hits it it will ruin the picture <laughs> what i think she thinks i'm making it all up it does sound like you're making it <laughs> sounds up.
0: fake i'll be honest <laughs> they're developing the photos with the hope of being able to figure out who stole the jewels gonzo is under the impression before the photos get developed that he thinks miss piggy took the necklace it's right. very obvious to him miss piggy took the necklace but uh, as the photos are developed they find one that shows that he is incorrect with his hand around the necklace around her neck is Nicky. So he, they all get the info that Nikki is
1: the thief. But before it can be passed along to anybody else, the door opens.
0: The entire time they're in there trying to develop <laughs> photos, you've got everybody on the outside of the door like knocking on the door, let me in, we gotta go, everybody's out to, about to wet themselves out here. And then they all come in at once, which
1: makes you wonder, what is the bathroom situation going to be in this room in five minutes? I think I've stayed
0: at this hotel. And it, <laughs> it's it, not good. It's man. not good. Okay, we had the proof, we don't have the proof anymore, but they at least have the knowledge that Nikki is no good, that the models are no good, and now they gotta figure out what to do with that. We take a break for a moment from plot to just let Kermit have some time to ruminate on his situation with Miss Piggy. And he's doing this on a park bench. Sitting on a park bench. Holding a glass slipper. (laughs) A huge glass. (laughs) Huge glass slipper.
1: Yes. I mean, and we never see him try to like fit this slipper on anyone. So there's not really any reason for him to have this glass slipper other than just a basic Cinderella joke. But it does give us our next excellent cameo from Peter
0: Falk. Falk. Yeah, Peter Falk from, uh, as we say at the top of every episode, there will be dated pop (laughs) cultural references. I'm not sure you're going to get more dated than a Peter Falk reference. Peter Falk was Columbo.
1: Columbo, yeah. And the Grandpa from Princess Bride. Yes. And, you know, many other things. He was a prolific actor and always, you know, the voice was all, like, even seeing him a younger version of him. He still sounds like he's a hundred years old. You know, he's, he's, he's always got the rasp. And he's a
0: tramp of some sort, right? He's got the long overcoat. It looks like he's hadn't shaved in a couple of weeks. He's a tramp and he's going to come sit down next to Kermit and commiserate. And he has the weirdest
1: monologue here, where he says, I bet I know what's upsetting you. And then he goes on this like three minute diatribe of nonsense (laughs) saying this, I bet this is why you're upset.
0: Your brother Bernie and you open up a dry cleaning business. Yes.
1: And as it goes, you start to think this is about him. He's telling about him. But then at the end it starts being more about Kermit again. You're like, oh no, he's just crazy. And then Kermit tells him, that's amazing. Everything you just said was absolutely wrong. So instead of uh, just walking away, that then offers to sell him a watch. (laughs) That's exactly, he has has a collection of, of watches in his trench coat.
0: We managed to get out of this long monologue by Peter Falk because Kermit sees Miss Piggy just happens to see Miss Piggy walking by at that exact time and he's really mad at her she left him and lied to him and lied to him and of course she wants to explain. Oh, you know, haha, just fooling around and wants to sort of sweep it under the rug and he's not really interested in doing that. Yes. He's too mad. It's a good scene
1: and I think it changes up their dynamic in a nice way where they have to connect a little bit more than they might usually because it's it's usually a very one-sided relationship with Piggy and Kermit, you know. Yeah. It's either chasing or, or or running away or something like that and this is them communicating. Which is a funny thing to
0: say about puppets, but it's true. He goes straight out and tells her, oh yeah, you know that guy that you were dancing with last night when you weren't hanging out with me? That's Nikki. Nikki is a jewel thief. Oh, you're just jealous. Yes. <laughs> and is this the moment... Yeah, it is. This is the moment where in the midst of having this argument about Nikki and about leaving him at the club and about all of that the argument just sort of morphs yeah. <laughs> into them having this non-movie related argument amongst themselves, yes. the actors. Yeah,
1: like the actors start arguing about something unrelated to the scene and then it becomes a scene about the actor Kermit and the actor Piggy getting mad at each other. I'm and then... playing
0: 800 different emotions here. Well then play one of them right. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Kermit gets very harsh about Piggy's <laughs> performance and then they at the end they're like, okay, we have to get back to the movie now.
0: They come back for another musical sequence, which is Beautifully done, beautiful song really nice moment in the movie for bringing these characters back together and developing the love plot, but also technically just a friggin' nightmare I would imagine.
1: There is, this is they're all on bicycles, and it ends up being just tons of them on bicycles, and so I looked up some about how this was done, and the note that I found about it was from Frank Oz, and he said that, this was a quote from him, he said, it's amazing, you work and work on the most difficult things, and people just say, oh, that's nice, and then something easy will occur, and it will be all and anyone talks about. In the first movie, that was Kermit riding a bike. It was very easy to do that. It was just a simple marionette with strings. But in the same film, we had a whole complicated sequence with Gonzo in the balloon, crashing into the sign, landing in the car. It took forever to film that, and all anyone talked about was the bike. So that's why we have this huge bicycle parade in the film. So apparently, the bike thing, which I have always thought was just the coolest Kermit on a bike to me, outstanding, top-notch, no notes, love it keep it in. Having all of them on bikes, even better. I was in heaven. And then I read this and I'm like, he thought the bike thing was simple. It looked like a nightmare to me because they're on the bikes. There's no wires I can see. No. Their mouths are moving. Their heads are moving. I'm like, this seems... They're pedaling in time to the music. Yes. And I did notice some of the bikes are hooked together. Like you Mm can see like the rat's bike is hooked to some of the other ones, but it's still a technical accomplishment, whether Frank Oz agrees or not.
0: There are some descriptions and photos of the process it took to do that that Henson had written down in his journal and that has kind of been added to on some places I was looking at online. And one of the shots that I saw is I think it was maybe it was Brian Henson, his son, who for part of this sequence, I understand, was riding some sort of giant tricycle that was kind of helping to pull all of these things along, but also was standing on a crane like with a boom arm that went out and essentially has these enormous marionette sticks and is marionette. Marionetting. Is that what you call a marionette? What, what mar- right. Puppeteering the people on the bike and for the shot where Kermit and Piggy sort of ride around in a circle mm-hmm. around one another, which looks technically crazy. <laughs> it looks beautiful in the movie. But it looks technically insane. There was some sort of like rotating platform that they had to stand on above and walk around. Right. It's just I don't know how. That's another example of them trying to push what you can do with puppets. And I think that's why he
1: went on to do Dark Crystal and other stuff was to see how much you could push puppeteering into realism, you know, to try
0: yeah. and break it out of the
1: puppet stage with just the hand, you know.
0: We end the scene, it sort of wraps up this larger sequence of the relationship yeah. saga, um, with everybody sort of riding off into the sunset down this path in this in this British park, which yeah. is beautiful. It's a lovely, lovely scene. We get dropped immediately, though, into chaos after that, mm-hmm. because we are backstage at the fashion show that Lady Holiday has been preparing for and was so worried about and talking to Milan about we're back there and Piggy as the assistant is there helping prep and I mean this leads us into a fantastic piece
1: but I mean the setup for it is also great and I think it captures the the chaos very well and they integrate Piggy very well into the scene in a way that I mean by, by this point in the movie you're not even thinking about puppet versus non-puppet it's just all characters in the movie which
0: is so hard to do and yet it just seems so simple and you have an interaction between Piggy and Nikki. Nikki who essentially corners Piggy in the back room where all the models are dressing and expresses his love for her because she's different than the rest of them. He comes on very strong here. It's not cool,
1: man. Not cool. Not cool at all. I mean, I was expecting Piggy to give him a karate chop to the groin
0: because that's what she does. He's very body positive, though. You're not like all of these other thin, long-legged models. You're different. She's like, okay, yeah, thanks. Kermit... Walks in at the wrong time, sees Nikki leaned over Piggy, gets the wrong impression, I'm sure. More jealousy. And uh, as he excuses himself and wanders out, the last moments that we have with Nikki is Nikki going over to his models, Carla and Darla and whatever the third one is. Marla. 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 And uh, them telling Nikki that he needs to plant jewels on Piggy to sort of take the rap for things. And you can tell that Nikki just doesn't want to do it. He's
1: going to, it'll make Piggy go away for a long time. He doesn't want
0: that. But he will. He will for the good of the gang. Okay, fashion show time. Out come the most horrifically flowy it's It's cake all the worst parts of the 80s it combined is. into one thing. And you get one of my favorite lines from this entire thing, which is Fozzie looking at all of these highfalutin women coming out on the, the walk and saying, pretty good looking duds. <laughs> to which Kermit replies, yeah, well, I found the white pleated collar alluring, but I was rather taken aback by the flutter of Godets. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna get writing like this <laughs> in children's movies You're not. anymore. You're not because that's. I think that's the
1: key when we talk about the earlier Muppets compared to the later Muppets. Is it was never written for children. It was written for the very weird hippie sensibilities of these 10 people who made this. And there was a weird mix of childish and adult, and you could have a line where Kermit said something like that, and also, you know, have
0: Gonzo fall down a lot. They could both coexist. The flutter of Godets. I will never <laughs> forget that. We advance the plot here of getting Piggy in trouble by Marla pretending to twist her knee backstage. She was supposed to go out on stage. Yes. Uh, she can't go out because, oh no, my knee, I've twisted it. Somebody needs to take my place, and Miss Piggy, you need to be that person. Yes.
1: Which then this leads us into this outstanding sequence, this Busby Berkeley musical. Fantasy sequence. Water sequence. Yeah.
0: Where we're underwater with the Muppets, which is crazy to me. It's a full-fledged water ballet sequence that is a fantasy dream sequence for Miss Piggy, yes. because she's getting her big turnout on the runway. And I was reading the technical
1: you know, aspects of making this happen, and it sounds crazy to me they said that they had lights cameramen cameras speakers monitors miss piggy all this stuff underwater and they had 18 professional swimmers who were you know diving at the right time and they had to keep the water at 90 degrees fahrenheit which kept the air at 95 degrees and so so it was just like a jungle in there and uh, frank oz said he did three days of scuba training for this and then they were underwater for a full week of shooting i mean but it looks amazing and the part where the bubbles come out of piggy's snout like this is Next level here. You didn't have to do that. They just did
0: it because they wanted to see if they could do it. And she's swimming towards the camera yeah, when it happens. Exactly. I love it. There's an additional note in some of that stuff, too, that talks about Jim Henson had written down that all of the swimming performers, all 18 or 17 of them, have gotten ear infections oh, at one point or another and basically ended the note with, well, that's showbiz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you read the the Muppet fan newsletter,
1: they were talking about how humid it was in there and they said, "We tried to get a director who happened to be a monkey or a crocodile. But the monkey applied but didn't like our terms of 3 bananas an hour and the crocodile ate his agent
0: on the way to the studio." <laughs> we want to stay in this fantasy sequence forever, not yeah. the least of which reason is Charles Grodin is singing in it, or the character of Charles Grodin. They're singing, happiness, Miss Piggy. He's singing in an opera voice. There it is. And Kermit is, is Kermit singing? Maybe, I don't remember. remember. Whatever it is, you've got this sort of overlay of Charles Grodin singing while Miss Piggy is doing her whole beautiful thing, all I ever wanted was you, a dream come true. And we want to stay there, but we don't because Miss Piggy awakens Because she has apparently walked off the edge of the catwalk and landed in a fountain. So her water fantasy has ended with her all wet. And Nikki brings her a coat... Puts the coat around her, slips the jewels into the pocket of the coat, which Miss Piggy finds almost immediately, holds them up and says, This doesn't belong to me. Hmm. To which immediately Lady Holiday recognizes what's being held up. Yes.
1: And then she gets dragged away and says one of my favorite gags, oh, which God. is where she she tells everyone that uh, Charles Grodin's voice was dubbed and he wasn't really
0: singing, <laughs> which it was. Yes. That's the was. truth. Charles Grodin can't sing a note. Yeah. And they dubbed his voice up for the sequence and she gives it away and she's being dragged away. <laughs> (laughs) Your voice was dubbed. Lady Holiday, I'm, I'm getting confused with Miss Marple and Lady Marmalade and M- <laughs> Lady Holiday. Lady Holiday tells reporters after all this has happened and Piggy's been taken away by the police that her fabulous baseball diamond, which mm-hmm. we had referenced earlier, will still go on permanent display at the Mallory Gallery. <laughs> Love that name. So good. And it will be there permanently. She's not going to have it around her anymore. It's too dangerous. And the actual Mallory Gallery, I looked it up
1: because it's a beautiful building when we see it in a, in a few. Uh, is actually a private residence called the Nebworth House. House in London. Mm. If you're ever in London, look up the Nebworth house and break in through the ceiling.
0: (laughs) The little nice addition to this scene after setting up the rest of the movie by saying the baseball diamond is going to be at the Mallory Gallery is Gonzo overhears Nikki and the models planning to steal it. So he is able to confirm for the rest of the group hey, this plan is going to go down. This is our chance to catch everyone in action.
1: I like how they're, you know, they're never too far behind. The plot. Kermit and Fozzie and Gonzo always are, like, in the middle of it. It's never, like, things are happening and they don't know about it, which I think would be an easier way to play them, have them play kind of dumb, but to have them be ahead of the, the curve and trying to stop it is more fun.
0: With Gonzo reporting this back to everyone at the Happiness Hotel, you know, this is their chance to go and capture everyone red-handed. Of course, you get the start of a repeating gag of Beauregard saying, what color are their hands now? <laughs> yes, exactly. Love that Catching one. them red-handed. So they gotta come up with a plan. Kermit is warm Warning everybody up front, hey, we're going to have to do this, but this mission is going to be dangerous. Somebody might get killed, which immediately turns every single Muppet around and say, well, I'm out. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, we talk about my love for Janice. Janice is, you know, I got to work tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and and I love these,
1: these moments where you get all of them interacting because, again, And this is, you know, a theme we keep coming back to. You forget they're puppets. And it just seems like a crowd of people all interacting. And I would love to zoom out and see how many arms are down there. Each Muppet is two people. So, I mean, there's just just dozens of people in this room.
0: And it looks like just a normal scene. The smell under that stage with everybody's arms in the air, hippies in 79 doing puppets. I'm sure it was rough. Yeah. 79 was the other movie. 81? 81, Whatever. It's still not great. It's not great. It's not great. Deodorant technology has has come a long way. So, everybody's backing out. Yes. They're not going to help Kermit. They're going to let this diamond be stolen until who comes to the rescue but Fozzie Bear. Fozzie has been the guy who has been influential over the group two times now in this movie. Both times for the negative. He has invited everybody along, or excuse me, has given away the game that Kermit was going to go on a date with Lady Holiday and kind of embarrassed Kermit the first time around. He's invited the entire gang along when he was invited along the second time. He uses his power for good in this moment and... By essentially shaming everyone right. <laughs> into participation, and I do like the kind of switching of
1: the roles. Like Burton Ernie is also Frank Oz and Jim Henson, mm-hmm. where Henson is the wild spirit who has lots of feelings and emotions, and you know Frank Oz is the uptight one. And then in in this pairing, it Kermit is more uptight and Fozzie is the kind of loosey goosey one and they do both roles so well and it works out great and they always play off each other so well and there's a great clip you can find online of Jim Henson and Frank Oz taking Kermit and Fozzie out to do camera tests for the original Muppet movie and they're just improvising the two of them with the puppets looking for different locations they're like in a tree they're by a fence they're talking to some cows and it is so much fun and you can tell these guys just had this great back and forth like even when they're just going off script, just kind of messing around. It's hilarious. Definitely recommend checking it out.
0: I would love to have the talent not to be so conscious of myself. <laughs> if you and I were hanging out holding puppets up in the air and mm. we're trying, we're standing there and trying to do dialogue. I'm doing the dialogue and I'm doing the character, but somewhere in my head I'm going, he thinks I'm an idiot. He thinks I'm an <laughs> idiot. I do. Yeah, I. but I know that for a fact now, but back then I would have thought that as no, well. No, I mean, and I, I think
1: that's a cool thing to watch on these old clips of them, like even on The Tonight Show and stuff. Jim Henson's not hiding. He's sitting there right next to Kermit doing the voice, and you only look at Kermit, even though his mouth is moving. He's not doing ventriloquism, but you can't help but stare at the puppet because their puppeteering is so good.
0: They are shamed back into action Yes, is what happens here. And so, great, everybody is all in. And how else are you going to end this scene but, you know, finish off the Murphy bed gag where the entire gang now from the hotel sitting on the bed, the bed folds them all up into the wall. And and, then the light bulb falls out. And then the light bulb falls out. You know, and then Kermit says, I guess we'll
1: get some sleep. (laughs) Half of them, their legs are crushed into the thing. They're still just going to
0: sleep there anyways. The person who is not there Mm. on the Murphy bed is Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy is in prison. Oh, man. Her Majesty's prison, Uh, she is sitting in a cell and is told that her lawyer is there to meet her. (laughs) I don't have a lawyer, she says. Oh, no, no, no. It's the the little green guy. Oh, Kermit. That's why he didn't come to visit me. He had to finish law school.
1: (laughs) It's so good.
0: His disguise
1: is so dumb. This whole gag. I love it so much. So he comes in in this like (laughs) zoot suit with weird mullet and a mustache. And he looks hilarious kermit in a disguise always funny and he's given himself the maybe poorly chosen name of rosenfeld <laughs> rosenthal rosenthal that's what it is and then there's one guard in there who I think is completely dubbed later. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. a very strange performance. I'm thinking they dubbed this woman's voice later. And uh, and him and Piggy end up kissing through the chicken wire, which then transfers his mustache to her <laughs> and gives him a bunch of black marks all over his face.
0: And gives her the chance after he's told her that, hey, we're going to go and try and we're going to get you out by catching the real thief. Yeah. Gives her the chance to say, I love you, Rosenthal. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. We've told Piggy what we're going to do. The gang is all in. The only thing that's left is for us to really have our major scene of preparation before we head out to either go steal the diamond or be captured stealing the diamond. This is the sort of the gentleman thief moment to a bit for Nicky because it's Nicky and the models in his office with all the gadgets.
1: Yes, and they're playing this excellent point counterpoint between the thieves getting ready and the Muppets getting ready. And the thieves are in this control room that, as I mentioned earlier, looks very Star Wars-y, has all these dials and buttons, and looks like it was taken from one of the control rooms of the Death Star. And they have all the gadgets. Do you have the lasers? Check. Do you have the, you know, grappling hook? Do you have the harpoon gun? And then meanwhile, the Muppets are going through their list and they have literally none of the things that they
0: need to have. <laughs> and the things that are on their list, they're useful to them, yes. but not really in any other situation. They'll have no cushion? Yeah. Nah. Rubber raft? Nah, it's got a hole in it. Fake vomit? Ah. But, you know, they have what they have. They are un- prepared Except for their wonderful disguises that we will see shortly. They are ready to go and ready to go. The light bulb falls out to complete the (laughs) sequence of that gag. And the only thing left is to get one more person on the road in order to make this whole thing work. And that's Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy, as we remember, is in prison. She's in jail and really should not have a way to get out of jail (laughs) at this point. And yet she does. You can't underestimate the
1: strength of Miss Piggy.
0: Miss Piggy gets so... Is it just anger? Is that what it is? I think she gets so worked out up she just (laughs) bends the bars of the prison and escapes and every prisoner in there with her gets this go for it (laughs) (laughs) and Miss Piggy grabs the iron bars and just and just wrenches these damn things apart wide enough for her to get out and uh, and off she goes she's going to go help and yeah she's riding on the back of a laundry truck and
1: another excellent rig of a puppet looking like a real person hanging off the back of a truck
0: I want to talk about all these ways that she gets to the Mallory Gallery and we'll do that when we come back Hi, I'm Josh Dassel, producer and host of the Subgenre Podcast, and right now you're listening to my voice. But did you know that this same space is available for you to market your business, sell your product, or promote your favorite cause or organization to our audience of smart, pop culture-savvy listeners with extraordinary taste in what to listen to? Visit subgenrepodcast.com and click the contact link under Advertise on Subgenre to inquire about what we offer. Ad Space is available on this and future episodes of Subgenre and The Pickup Shot, as well as our entire back catalog of episodes. We'd love to do business with you. That's subgenrepodcast.com, and click the contact link under Advertise on Subgenre. Keep listening, and maybe next time we'll hear your new ad right here. Hey, it's Subgenre. We are talking about The Great Muppet Caper with Nick Heim. Nick, you are here for your first time on Subgenre to talk about this. How's the experience been for you so far?
1: I think it's a lot of fun, and I could not pick a more appropriate film to geek out about than The Muppets because I am a Muppet geek, and I love it.
0: Okay, starting off the last bit of this movie, we have everybody, our crooks, Our Muppets, Miss Piggy, everybody en route to the Mallory Gallery for some sort of confrontation where we're going to resolve this thing. What has to happen first for everybody, but especially for Nikki and crew and for our big gang of Muppets from the Happiness Hotel, is they have to get into the thing to start with. And it's not an easy task to do because there are large gates around it there's guard dogs there are guards there and this is around the mallory gallery but it's also around the prison and we start with miss piggy trying to find a way to get out the prison after having bent the bars
1: she does a classic escape on a truck but i think you know we get so many little mini adventures with miss piggy here and each of them has a moment that's really well done but also again technically they're doing more than they have to do like, you could sell these gags easily with just a close-up on her, but they're doing full-body stunts, and it's impressive. Is that the full-body pig costume, the, the person holding onto the back of the truck there, could you I tell? I think so.
0: I know it is on the motorcycle gags, but I think it's a puppet still on the back of the truck. She gets out of the prison on that truck, but then immediately has to find her way even further and tries to do it by hitching a ride with a cement truck driver who just happens to be played by esteemed actor Peter Eustace enough.
1: Yes, of Spartacus and others. Oh, very weird cameo to have, but I mean, apparently they loved him enough that they invited him back.
0: Yeah, because he was on the original Muppet Show.
1: Yes, he was. And that's another thing. we've. I think my family has watched every episode of the Muppet Show now that they put them all on streaming, which has been a lot of fun, but also what a cavalcade of 70s people you've never
0: thought about again. <laughs> <laughs> there's an awful lot of John Denver. Oh man, there's a lot of. His hair, the page boy perfected. She does get the cement truck driver to stop. Uh, Yustinov is like, yeah, I'm stopping, but I'm not letting you in. No, I'm sorry. You can't ride with me. Not going to happen. To which Piggy does a piggy. I mean, Miss Piggy gets what she wants, always. And grabs Yustinov and essentially hurls him out of this truck, landing him in a giant pile of garbage. She takes the truck and heads out, and we get this really fun moment in just a second where she's CBing with other truck drivers in the area to see if there's any cops around. But before we get to that, you get this one other cameo after Peter Ustinov's been thrown into the trash. The ultimate cameo. The
1: ultimate cameo. Which is Oscar the Grouch for one line. He gets one line in the film and gets Carol Spinney a, uh, an, a also featuring credit at the end. Peter Ustinov in a trash pile with Oscar the Grouch. Love
0: it. I only get this short cameo or this one line
1: and <laughs> Ustinov's like, cameo. Yes. yeah, me too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Meanwhile, back at the Mallory Gallery, the thieves are trying to break in. They're doing Mm -hmm. their thief thing. Our Muppets are outside the front gate trying to get through the bars somehow. And so they ask Animal to give it his best try. Yeah, and you know, you think it would work because so, we saw
1: him eat the MGM logo at the beginning, but you know, he can eat through it, but it makes a lot of noise
0: and they're on them quicker. They realize, oh no, we've got guard dogs that we've got to deal with and we've got guards and what are we gonna do, we can't get through. So, what do you do when you can't get past guard dogs and dogs and you're trying to get into a heavily guarded museum? You dress as a pizza delivery, people. <laughs> Fozzie's fake Super Mario accent here is outstanding. <laughs>
1: (laughs) And I always appreciate a voice actor who does the voice of their character doing an impression. It's such an excellent bit of work and I always appreciate it and Frank Oz is obviously the best. The pizza ruse actually sort of works. It does. They all get past the guard. The guard who hates pepperoni. (laughs) Right. He hates pepperoni, but they gave him a pepperoni pizza and they haven't thought this through very much, but yet they have the full pizza outfits. They
0: have the full pizza (laughs) And a pizza box. The full pizza box that's marked as like the something brother So it's playing on that whole thing of they're the twins. The twins, yes, with their monstrosity of a father. Piggy's truck runs out of gas Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime. So she's got to find another way around how to uh, get there, which coincidentally at exactly that moment, (laughs) a delivery truck uh, drives by and hits a speed bump. And out rolls a stunt motorcycle. (laughs) Just her size. Exactly pig size. I guess exactly pig sized for the Dikembe Mutombo sized
1: (laughs) (laughs) Miss Piggy. It's true. But we switch to the human pig performance. It's upsettingly lucky.
0: <laughs> uh, while this is going on, they had the pizza thing. They managed to get inside the gates. They throw the additional pizzas at the guard dogs or something as the guard dogs uh, see them coming. And then they go up the drain pipe. Yeah, they shinny up a drain pipe to get to the top of this thing. And this is where we come back to the discussion about elevating the puppetry yeah. art form. Do you know how they did that? I don't. It looks amazing, though. The description that I have read, mm-hmm. and I really I need a visual on this. The description I have read is is that it was multiple puppeteers mm-hmm. right because if you look it's not like they're just pulling a line of slack puppets up a drain pipe no, by somebody in the They're moving their roof.
1: arms and legs to they're, crawl They're up moving up the their thing. arms and legs
0: and all of them in different times it was a bunch of different puppeteers on small elevator platforms with no sides and this thing is like however they constructed it it sort of inched its way up the building at the same time as these puppets and so they were able to manipulate these puppets while up there and i think it's crazy the description i read was like you know somebody saying like this thing shouldn't have worked like right. it, it should have fallen apart and killed everyone that was on it it was super dangerous But somehow it worked, man. And, you know, you don't even think about like you think,
1: okay, you could build like a little fake drain pipe that has a motor in it that pulls them up. But I mean, they're moving their heads. They're talking. I mean, there's like 30 things going on at once and you don't even think about it. How much effort had to go into it is
0: astounding. Well, my filmmaker self would have looked at it and went, oh. We'll just take a drain pipe, lay it on its side. There you go. That would work too. And then turn the camera sideways, yeah. and then it just looks like people are going to. No, 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 no. We have to have them climb up the real building. Yeah, and, because you know. they have that's wide enough. You can see that's on the actual building, and you can see the guard dogs below them yeah. and the guards. And, yeah, which then leads to an excellent moment of Rolf talking to the dogs and telling them yes, to Yeah, speaking get their language. Yeah. It helps to know a second language. <laughs> rough, rough, rough. The thieves, Nikki and the models, uh, manage to reach the diamond. They make their way into the museum. They get through whatever security things with their high-tech gadgetry that they need in order to turn off the alarms and make it into the room with the diamond. While they are doing that, up above them on the roof, looking down through a skylight that they have unscrewed and pulled out and crashed down over themselves, unfortunately, (laughs) Um, but looking down are all of our Muppets who, I think, as you mentioned before, looked down on a fabulous baseball diamond that is sitting in a felt baseball glove.
1: We're not going to let this joke go unnoticed.
0: We're going to make sure everyone gets the joke. (laughs) And we're going to cap it with Beauregard's What color are their hands now? (laughs) To play out the third beat on that. So the team of professional thieves is doing their professional thief thing and trying to get over to the diamond. Our team of amateur sleuths are trying to figure out how to get down from the roof to stop them. Uh, It is suggested by one of the Muppets that they use paper towels, uh, which they don't. They make a, again, I'm going to search for the right word here, a human chain. They make a Muppet chain. Muppet chain, yeah. A person-to-person chain to lower themselves down. And so you just get this sort of creeping chain of felt puppets (laughs) that's getting longer and lower to the floor it's excellent this is an intercutting scene here yeah. we're cutting back to Miss Piggy she's on the stunt motorcycle yeah. speeding through the streets now evading police yes. she's racking up the felonies Like no matter what happens at the end of this she's in trouble <laughs> <laughs> she is nearly there but not there yet the Muppets on their chain coming down from the roof get low enough to surprise the thieves who have just grabbed the baseball diamond off of the pedestal and scares the thief. She lets go of it. The Muppets grab hold of the baseball diamond and of course do what? begin to play baseball.
1: Of course. And then you get one of the Muppet Show regulars, which is their Howard Cosell impersonator, uh, Louis Kazager, who is doing the play-by-play for what's happening in the scene.
0: Back and forth, and uh, here's how the game's going. Ladies and gentlemen, Animal is doing his animal thing, chasing the models with the normal woman, woman! (laughs) 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 Which, problematic, Animal. It is. Come on, Animal. Be Um, better. He does his thing. The Muppets do their thing. We get slapstick gags all over the place right up until we don't. And that's where Kermit is going back to catch it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And Nikki's gloved hand reaches in and instead grabs back the fabulous baseball diamond. Yes. And he uses the other hand to take Kermit hostage.
1: It's a bit of actual, you know, adventure here in the middle where it's the Muppets, so you're sure it'll
0: turn out fine, but it's, you know, it puts a little peril in it. So in a Muppet movie, we have hostage taking, adultery. <laughs> we have felonious assault and uh, fleeing. Definitely. We have it. Inappropriate photographs of chickens. <laughs> the list is growing. That should be where Kermit is oft, but it isn't because Miss Piggy comes in to save the day. Saves the day. And I
1: think this is the scene, re-watching it many years later, you know, I, I, I saw this as a kid and then rewatched it as an adult many times. But in between years, this was the scene that I always remembered if I thought about this movie, was Miss Piggy crashing through the window and, and landing and, and saving the day. Because it was, it was kind of the, you know, the pinnacle of all the stuff that's happened so far and all the stories, the intercut stories coming together in a satisfying way.
0: I'm with you in that that's the visual that I recall. Mm-hmm. And I think potentially that's because when this movie was released, McDonald's released four different commemorative glasses. Oh, really? One of them had like Fozzie in the bus and the band and everything, and one of them had Kermit and whatever's going on. But one of them was like a glass, and it had Miss Piggy in purple on the motorcycle bashing through the window. And And we had that thing forever. And that is the image. When I think of that scene, I don't think of that scene. I think of the glass portraying (laughs) that scene. There were so many commemorative glasses back then. There really were.
1: We had Ewoks and all kinds of stuff that... Why was it a commemorative glass? I don't know. I think I had the Ewoks one. Oh, yeah. Everyone had the Ewoks one.
0: She bashes through the window on her stunt motorcycle. I think this time as a puppet. Yes. Not as a... She does not look like a weird, monstrous human. Yeah. And leaps from the motorcycle... I think tackles Nikki, knocking the diamond or whatever out of his hand, knocking him unconscious, actually. And uh, I think Kermit gets the diamond. And then she makes her way. We talked about thinking she was going to karate chop people earlier. This is where she karate chops. She
1: finally gets to let loose and go nuts and be the karate expert that she always has been.
0: And goes nuts on Darla and Carla and Marla. They they're go down hard. And Kermit helps her out by finishing the job by cracking Nikki on the skull with the fabulous baseball diamond oh, yeah. he's got some sort of brain injury at the end. <laughs> The felonies just keep... <laughs> keep racking up. So they've done it. The Muppets have succeeded. They have foiled the plot. They have gotten the thieves, Nikki and the rest captured because we see Nikki and the models are being carted away by the police and put into police cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the last second, Nikki asks for an extra moment.
1: Yeah, he gets to complete our love triangle story by talking to Piggy one last time and, and telling
0: her that he actually did care about her after all. I don't remember if he says something, you know, I, we could have been something or yes. I could have loved you or whatever. And, you know, she gets her, we'll always have Paris moments (laughs) moment with him and says, I found out the difference between wrong and right. You were wrong and Kermit was right.
1: It's good. It's very on brand for the genre and it's
0: fun and it ties up that loose end. We could leave it there. We've wrapped everything up, but like all good movies do, we're going to get just a little bit more. We're going to get a tag at the end. We're going to get our book in. That's really going to tie this thing together. We started on an airplane coming over to London. We're going to finish on an airplane returning to to the U.S. And it also gives us one more chance to do
1: our transportation gag of never getting to get
0: out correctly and having to be thrown out of every... (laughs) We're back in the cargo hold again, (laughs) this time with all the Muppets. Apparently, everyone's coming home back to the U.S., but they are not going to stop in the U.S.A., of course. Of course not. They don't have that expensive of a ticket, so instead, here comes the steward and uh, proceeds to chuck everyone out of the airplane. And I believe the steward
1: is Jerry Nelson, the Muppet performer who throws... Ah. Ha. but I'd have to go back and double check but I'm, I'm pretty
0: sure that's him well, he throws everybody out this time with parachutes thankfully. Yes, at
1: least they have parachutes this time and they get to drift down in a nice little scene
0: we get our final musical number which is a reprise of the opening number that we had on the, the street set which is called hey a movie starring everybody and me and everyone is now floating down on parachutes, having discussions, again, sort of reminiscent <laughs> yeah. of the opening of this thing about the movie and how great it was. And didn't we all have a great time? Yes, it's it's a great ending and it ties it all up very nicely.
1: And this was the parachute uh, sequence that they shot in Albuquerque. Yes, I think so. I mean, they I'm guessing they did it at the same time as the balloon sequence at the beginning.
0: Yeah, lovely thing. Takes us to credits, uh, lots of music, lots of great stuff to listen to. But if you stick it out, did you stick it out to I the did. end? Yeah, you get one more little scene. Yeah, you stick it out all the way to the end of the credits, and uh, we get
1: one more moment from Gonzo. Gonzo comes on and, and takes everyone's photo and says, I'll send you each a copy, <laughs> which is wonderful. And I'm still waiting for my copy. I am,
0: too. Yeah. I'm going to check
1: the mail. Come on, Gonzo.
0: And that's it. That is The Great Muppet Caper, start to finish, Muppet to Muppet. <laughs> I think we did it. And we felt something. Oh, Oh, Nick. Sorry.
1: Give me your wrap-up thought. What do you think? Like we've kind of talked about, I think the thing that works best with The Muppets is that kind of point where they meet at heartfelt and hilarious. And I think this one does that well. You feel like these are characters with some dimension, but it's fun. It's nonstop fun. And I think they've dialed in the formula at this point to the degree where it's firing on all cylinders. You know, they're hitting the jokes They've got their setups and punchlines down to a science, and the characters are lived in enough that they can interact in different ways, and every pairing brings value to the story. And the human actors do a great job, and they always commit to it in a way that You know, especially if you watch The Muppet Show a lot, you'll see some people do better with that than others. Other people kind of keep themselves at a reserve because they know it's puppetry. And so they're always kind of treating it like it's a little silly. And I think Charles Grodin and Diana Rigg both do a great job of committing 100% and just being part of the film and matching the tone of the film. It hits on all cylinders. It's light, it's breezy, it's fun. And it has, you know, the characters you love.
0: Let's play You Can't Handle the Truth. You Can't Handle the Truth is the quiz segment here on SubGenre, where I am going to ask my guest host, Mr. Nick Heim, three multiple choice questions, Mm. sometimes about the film that we've been talking about, sometimes tangential. Uh, Your goal is to get two out of the three questions right. And if you do, you will win a prize, which I am always unable to provide you. Today, you are playing for the fabulous baseball diamond. I thought you were going to say your voice on my voicemail, and I was going to say, no, thank you. That's NPR. We don't have that kind of budget. All right. Uh, Here we go. Ready? Are you ready to play? I'm ready. Question number one. Before they were film stars, the Muppets started their run in 1975 on ABC's The Muppet Show. That show gave us a number of memorable tunes, but maybe none more so than the super catchy earworm Menomino. But that song wasn't an entirely original composition. Where did that tune originally come from? Was it A, it was an unreleased track from Led Zeppelin's 1975 Physical Graffiti album, Was it B, it's the national anthem of the island nation of Tonga, but played in reverse? Or C, it's from a 1968 Italian softcore porn movie? These are all ridiculous choices.
1: Yes. Um, You know, I'm going to choose C because I don't know what these hippies were up to.
0: I think they were watching some Italian pornography. It's a solid logic. And it is correct. Yes. That four-syllable tune, it is actually from the 1968 Italian softcore movie, Sweden, Heaven and Hell. So it's an Italian movie called Sweden. Uh, Sesame Street producer Joan Ganz Cooney was apparently watching this film, as you did in the 70s. Yeah, well, that New York City was mostly porn theaters. Heard it on the radio and then asked Henson and Oz to perform it with the Muppets.
1: Well, that's what happens when the Italians put their mind to something. Either get pizza or Mario or...
0: All right, let's keep it up. Let's go for question number two. Here we go. I'm ready. One of my very favorite Muppets is the confection crazed blue shag carpet with googly eyes we know as Cookie Monster. But this eventual Sesame Street regular has a very un-Sesame origin story. What did he actually start out as? Is it A, he was the original mascot of Woolite, an unsanitary throw rug in need of conditioning? Was it B, he was a frightening fanged machine-eating creature in an IBM corporate video? or C, he was an unused hand puppet originally created to sell used cars. I believe it is B.
1: I believe I have seen a picture of him with fangs. So that's what I'm basing it on. All
0: right, you're going with he was in an IBM corporate video as a fanged monster? That is absolutely correct. Yes, what would go on to be Cookie Monster, called Cookie Monster, in 1967, was in an IBM training film called Coffee Break Machine, where he devoured some sort of complex coffee machine, and then when he finishes, the machine says that the monster has activated its anti-vandalism system, (laughs) which contains explosives.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fantastic, and uh, one of my favorite bits of Sesame Street, is the christmas eve on sesame street which we watch every year and he is trying to write a letter to santa and keeps eating all the things he has to write with so first he starts with a pencil then he eats the typewriter then a phone and by the end he's eaten almost everything he eats the entire christmas tree and all the presents and that is what cookie monster is all about
0: bonus question there just a little extra credit
1: okay i'm ready what's cookie monster's real name cookie monster's real name is parnassus t cookieman
0: No, that's not right. No, I made that up. His real name is Sid. Sid! I didn't know that. that. No, I refuse to accept that information. Question number three, you don't need it. You don't need three. You got one and two. You've already won this thing. I have the baseball diamond in my possession. We're going for three, and it's a good thing that you've already won this because three is a gimme. This just shows how well you were listening. All right. Number three, all movies can occasionally entertain alternate titles before release. Which of the following titles was not considered as a title for what ultimately became The Great Muppet Caper? Okay. Was it A, Froggy Day in London? B the Rocky Muppet Picture Show or C, it's a Muppet 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 World. I mean it's C because we had a whole segment about this. Of course it's C. It's a Muppet 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 World is not what was on the list for choosing an alternate title. I kinda wish it was though. I know, that's a pretty good one actually. And that's it. You've won the fabulous baseball diamond, which I'm certain we will be able to deliver to you forthwith.
1: I'll give you my address, and if you can just like put it in one of those mixed media mail containers and send it along, that would be great. Thank
0: you. It's time for Rave, Rental, or Refund. This is our time to give our final verdict on The Great Muppet Caper. I think you can tell from the excitement we've had all the way through discussing this, probably what our answer would be on Rave, Rental, or Refund. So I want us to answer that, but I also want us to clarify whether or not we feel like it beats the Muppet movie from 79, Mm. which was uncertain at the top of this episode. So Rave, Rental, or Refund,
1: Nick Heim? Well, it's definitely a rave. I mean, with the caveat that you have to enjoy the Muppets, but I think that people who don't enjoy the Muppets are not people I want to talk to anyways. Agreed. So, if you enjoy The Muppets, this is the best of The Muppets. I mean, this is as good as it gets. It's fun, it's light, it's breezy, it's beautiful, it's all of the things you want a Muppet movie to be and it's actually legitimately funny. So it depends on the day for me between this and Muppet Movie. Like I said, Muppet Movie has Rainbow Connection, which is an all time song and also a heart crushing song to listen to. I can barely even talk about it. It's yeah. it's too emotionally fraught as part of my like being, you know, growing up and and just being part of my life. So the songs in this movie are good, but none of them are that good. But Muppet Caper is so fun. I think Muppet Caper's the better movie.
0: You have it. The music's not quite as good, but the actual structure of the film is better. I'm obviously going uh, with a rave as well in terms of whether it beats out the Muppet movie. It's hard. Muppet movie has a much different flavor than this one. It's definitely a more serious vibe mm-hmm. in the original Muppet movie. It's more of an adult movie. Agreed. And that to me is both its strength and its weakness. The strength is that it feels like a real movie that Muppets are in, the weakness is that it's not as fun. It's not as funny either. I I think this is a funnier movie. This is a much funnier movie. Yeah. I think it's more rewatchable than the first one. And so I think that's why I'm going to give it the edge over Muppet movie. I think go. it's the better film. You can't go wrong with either of them, though. They're both great. Nick, I am so excited that you were able to come and be on this episode of Subgenre. I hope that you feel like you want to come back if there's a season three or Absolutely. anything and If like there that. is not a season three,
1: I put that on the audience. Listen so that there's a season three.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. They should do that.
1: And send, Josh, any loose diamonds you have. I could use those. We have to pay for this crap somehow.
0: (laughs) Tell the people what they uh, should know about you, anything you want to plug. If you are not already part
1: of the fan club, um, (laughs) then you can always check us out. I have a uh, production company and agency called Junction Road Pictures. You can check us out at junctionroadpictures.com. I just am excited to come here and talk about the Muppets and uh, talk about movies with a friend. And it's awesome. (laughs)
0: This has been Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. Subgenre is a production of Kabuki and is recorded and mixed at Studio K. This episode was written, produced, and hosted by me, Josh Dassel, alongside my guest host, advertising director and filmmaker, Nick Heim. Our theme music is Still Room on the Night Train by Ketza featuring Solar Flare. Want even more of our show? Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or kind of anywhere else you listen to pods, and don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. Trust me when I say it's massive in helping other listeners find us, just like you did. You can also support Subgenre with your donation. You'll find the link to do so, more about our show, and all of our archived episodes from Season 1 at our website, subgenrepodcast.com. We also do the Insta and Twitter thing, both at SubgenrePod. I cannot say this enough. Do not miss our next episode, the last of Subgenre Season 2 Charming Thieves. It will be like nothing you have heard from us yet. But in the meantime, please remember, we're all different. So no matter what your subgenre, be kind to who you meet. That's a wrap. Bunkie.